the podcast for the inquisitive diver. Hey there, dive buddies, and welcome to episode three of season four. And um, we've got uh, the old and bold back with us this, uh, this episode. <laughs> He's not been around for a while. He's not travelling all the time. Senior travel editor for Scuba Diver Magazine, uh, my good buddy, uh, with a beer in hand, Don Silcock. Don. Yeah. Good day, mate. Uh, it's back. good to be back. I, um, like you said, I've been doing a bit of travelling, and uh, but it's good to catch up and uh, uh, share a beer with you here in uh, where are we? Saint Leonard's, <laughs> Saint Leonard's. <laughs> Sydney, Sydney. Oh yeah, Sydney. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's been that long, mate. It seems like you've got younger and I've got older. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, I think when was the last time we recorded? It must have been when we were with Jane. Yeah, it was. I think it was early June. I'd, I'd done my first trip post COVID, which was I went to Tubatar in uh, the Philippines, and then I was back in Sydney for a week before I went to India on uh, pursuing my other exp- expensive hobby of adventure motorcycling. I did a, a month in uh, the Indian Himalayas uh, pl- um, from Ladakh area, and ended up in a place called the Zanskar Valley, which is really remote. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. And, uh, yeah, that was a real adventure. I was convinced I was going to get COVID there. Um, <laughs> but I didn't. Well, you know, the, nobody was wearing masks and um, social distancing is a, an oxymoron. You know, there's yeah. lots of people in India and I was just convinced that this is it. I'm going to get it. But I didn't. I survived. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so um, and then I got back into the diving, really. I've, been, I've done a few trips and, uh, and I've got a Prizzy 23 coming up, which I'm really looking forward to. Mate, I thought that that motorcycle trip in India sod the COVID. I thought you were going to go off the side of a fucking cliff or something. Looking at those photos you were putting up, I, I, I nearly did a couple of times. I tell you, there was a couple of moments where I thought, you know, I, I hope my wife can find the insurance policy because uh, it was. Um, um, have you been there? Have you been in Never. the? In, you know, well, uh, the, the once you get above what's called a tree line. Uh, it's just like granite, and uh, there's no vegetation, and the roads are hewn into the side of the mountains there's no arm called barriers uh, you know a few places there is but most of the time there's nothing so if you you've got to be really really careful hypersensitive as to what you're doing but uh it um sharpens the concentration shall we say <laughs> and uh, yeah it's um but it's an interesting place in i've been there many times um and uh never ceases to amaze me um yeah. And what bikes were it that you were? Uh, Royal Enfields, they, they're yeah. made in India, and um, uh, yeah, they're ideally suited for it up there. It's uh, no, they're a bit agricultural, and um, they're digital. You're either on or you're off. There's very, <laughs> <laughs> there's very little in between, and um, yeah, so it's a, it was an interesting, real adventure. I uh, really enjoyed it. Apart from on the way back, they lost my bag, oh. and uh, that took me a week to get it back. So uh, yeah, so when, when you're doing the the trip. From how, how far is it for starters? How long does it? How long? Does it it's a day's ride every day. It depends what you're doing. The, the longest you do, if you're on a decent highway and you've got, you know, maybe you'll do. Um, I think the longest I've ever done in one day was about 500 kilometres. But yeah. typically, if you're up in the mountains, I mean, if you do 100 kilometres on those roads, yeah. you know about it. You know, it's uh, it's wild up there. You know, and and of course, there's once you get to a certain point, there's no uh, there's no hotels or anything. It's all homestays and. Uh, there was the uh, in the Zanskar Valley one place we stayed it was it was quite the most basic I've ever stayed anywhere uh, <laughs> the, the, the all I can describe what the toilet was it was a black hole in a black hole 
<laughs> and you had to be very careful at night when you went for a pee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that was uh, quite And um, uh, the bathroom, I literally had a shower in the lane uh, at the side of the house. And uh, to the amusement of uh, <laughs> all who walked past. Uh, but yeah, it was um, it was an interesting uh, adventure. Just what you needed after COVID. It was a complete opposite of yeah. being locked down here in Sydney. Carefree and freedom. Yeah, yeah, really cool. How'd you get on with the, um, the food? Because, you know, you'd instantly think of Deli Belly. You are sat in the same room as the only Caucasian who goes to India and comes back constipated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's because I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. I don't... Uh, everybody I've travelled with who's got really sick in India was... They're all, they're all meat eaters. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not. So I think that's what it is. But, you know, I drink chai at the side of the road. I don't eat street food uh, much anyway, but... I've never, I've never had it. I um, and if anything, <laughs> I get constipated there. I don't. You know, you know what that is. What? I bet they were making it look like cauliflower <laughs> or Bombay aloo, but it was made with brick dust. <laughs> I, I don't. Maybe it's the beer. Maybe it's the kingfisher beer. I, 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 I don't know. But anyway, uh, so I survived, and uh, I did come off once. Um, but I was on the right side of the bend. If I'd have come off on the other side of the bend, I could have been over the side, which was a bit of a worry, but uh, didn't do much damage uh, to either the bike or myself. And, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, it was a real adventure. And just the, you know, it was just like flushed the whole thing of COVID and the pandemic uh, out of my system. Uh, great. So, Happy days. Yeah, yeah. And then you were home for a, a week or two. And then yeah, I was home for a, uh, yeah, I went, when I came back, I was back for about a week down here and then uh, I went down to South Australia uh, to do the uh, cuttlefish at Wyala and then the uh, Port Hughes jetty, mm. which is on the other side of Spencergill. It's really interesting. Those jetties in South Australia are the national treasures, you know. <laughs> for well, what's at the Port Hughes jetty? Because obviously, I mean, we've spoken last week or whatever because I'm looking at going down to Wyala this yeah. year with the yeah. missus. Port Hughes. What's so that? that's the, basically it's the other side of the Spencer Gulf, from a bit north, uh, further north, but the other side, the eastern side of the Spencer Gulf from Wyala. Hmm. And uh, the thing with the jetties in South Australia, there's lots of them, but it depends where they are and also depends on the structure. So, for example, Edithburg that we spoke about the other day, it's a fantastic site. Hmm. But the thing about the jetty there is it's quite wide and it's quite, um, it's not particularly tall. Yeah. So there's the sun doesn't get underneath it much. Yeah. So you get all the sponges and filter feeders on there, which are incredibly colourful and all the rest of it. And then down at, uh, say, Rapid Bay, the jetty there is quite high. Yeah. So you get a different ecosystem, basically. Yeah. So what's interesting about Port Hughes is it's not very high, but it's not very wide. Yeah. And so it's a completely, to, to what I've seen anyway, is a, a completely different ecosystem than all the other jetters that have died down there. Okay. So we had um, we had uh, three or four days there, um, and it was really good. I really enjoyed it. The, the only problem with Port Hughes is you can't get any fills there. You've got to go to drive down to Edithburg, which is like a, an hour and a half, two hours drive to oh, get your tanks filled, yeah. Um, but it's worth it. It's uh, somewhere. It's another one of those interesting South Australian uh, uh, locations. Uh, yeah. yeah, well worth it. Yeah, yeah. And um, well, those people that probably might not have listened to your previous podcast, um, Wyella, the Cuttlefish Sex Show, <laughs> <laughs> the greatest show on earth. Um, it's uh, Wyella is. Uh, that was my seventh trip to Wyella. Really? Uh, yeah, last year, seventh time. That's how good it is, right? Uh, and it's it's a unique event. Nobody 
is aware anyway of anything similar. So come uh, May, when the temperature drops to around about 17, it's, that's a trigger. Mm. And cuttlefish aggregation for mating are quite common all around southern Australia, but it's typically groups of like 10 to 15 mm. of the giant Australian cuttlefish, Apius sepia uh, apama. Um, and the the mating is kind of interesting in itself because the the, um, <clears throat> the females are what they call polyandrous, um, which basically means uh, spectacularly promiscuous. <laughs> 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 they they have sex with multiple partners, and it's all part of, I guess, genetic diversity. Yeah, uh, but they they they. It's unbelievable. And then the the older cuttlefish, who are about 18 months old, this is their last throw of the dice. Yeah. This, so they're very intent on... I don't that's, know what... they're nice at 18 months old. Yeah, yeah. There's, so there's, there's like two two, genera- two uh, populations. There's a younger population, which is... So the males are about six months old. They're a bit, you know, still a bit juvenile. And you've got the big bull males, which are 18 months old. And will be dead at the end of the season. Right. Whether they know they're going to die or not, I don't know. But they certainly act like they do because they're determined to get as much sex as they can <laughs> before they go. You know, I, 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 and you can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can relate to that. Well, I can anyway. Um, <laughs> but the, anyway, the point is, it's it's just um, uh, it, it's intense battle for the favours of the females, which are outnumbered about. Eight to ten to one by mm. the males. Mm. So there's an endless supply of males, all fixated on one thing. Yeah. You've got this <laughs> polyandry going on, and it's just from about nine o'clock in the morning till about six o'clock in the evening. It's just sex yeah. going on. All, but the thing is, in an area of about one square kilometer in Wyala, are something like hundred to hundred and fifty thousand of these cuttlefish. Jesus, it's the only event of that size that's known. Everywhere else, it's 10, 15. Mm. And the reason is because of the conditions there. It's sheltered, the substrate is perfect for putting the eggs. And, you know, it just happens there. Nobody else, as far as anybody is aware, there's no other event like it. And yet, when you talk to the guys there, the the local divers, who I know quite well now, they just thought that was normal. You know, they've been diving there for years, and they thought it was all kind of no, yeah. uh, it's not. It's <laughs> extremely unusual, and it's this annual event. It starts around about the middle of May when the temperature drops. By the early June, it's going full on. July, it's starting to peter off, and August, it's all done. Yeah. Um, but every year. Yeah. And it's um, d- does it get absolutely heaving with divers? Uh, yeah, over the um, the weekends get busy, and the uh, there's a couple of uh, like the Queen's birthday. Um, mm. well, that's a still a th- you know, um, but that week long weekend there uh, that gets really 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 busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you're there during the week, which I I normally go during the week mm. and do like about five days. By Friday, it gets starting to fill up. But, I, yeah, but, I think we're planning to do that really 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 busy weekend, but. The, the section that we're going to do at Wyala will be the Thursday, Friday, and the Saturday, mm. and then we we'll bugger off to Edithburg. Right, right, that's a good idea. Yeah, and if it's everybody goes to the fence line, which is where the there's like a nice toilet block there, and you know it's uh, the local council doing a good job of all that, mm. and that's where most people go. Mm. But you can just follow that. There's like a, a dirt road that goes all the way around, 
and there's other spots along there where you can get in mm. and you'll have it to yourself more or less gotcha mm. so worth taking like a beach buggy with a little beach trolley or something take all your equipment and uh, well you just like you just uh, gear up on the side of the road and you know you can get down there there's parts yeah. where you can get down onto the actually onto the beach okay and other places where you just got to go down the steps and yeah um yeah and get to the bottom look like an asthmatic pit pony yeah, you, you, you <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, um, and it's like old Rocky Beach, so you've got to be careful getting in and out and all the rest of it, but hmm. um, yeah, it's well, well worth it, it's yeah. a unique event. But then I suppose with it being relatively shallow and it's colder water, so, you know, one tank's going to be enough for... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, I normally go out for the day with two tanks, but by the end of the, because you can be in there for like two hours on a dive. Yeah. So it's usually your bladder that brings you out. <laughs> Diving, you know, in a dry suit down there. Yeah. Because it's cold. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're only in about eight metres of water. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no areas of concern or anything because you're in shallow. I mean, the, the, you do get great whites out in the Spencer Gulf yeah. uh, to the north. Uh, the top of the Spencer Gulf is supposed to be a... Um, um, a breeding area, you know, it's like a supposed to be a nursery up there. Yeah, for great whites, yeah. Uh, but it's too shallow for them to come in around the um, um, around the uh, uh, point lowly where where the, you know yeah. the, the aggregation is. I've, I've never seen anything down there, you know. And I know the local divers say, no, you don't you don't get anything around here, you know, because yeah. it's too shallow. So they're not going to be expecting any food in that kind of area, are they? <sighs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, how, big, how big do the cuttlefish get then? The big bulls. Uh, they're almost a metre long. They're, they're really big ones. You know. Yeah, yeah, they're big, and they. Uh, but the, 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 because they're so intent on the way it works is they they gather the females and they hide them in the in the seagrass below them, yeah. right? And then they sort of making sure that the other males don't come in, right? Yeah, yeah. And then when they can, then they'll you know couple up and away they go, um, like a man possessed, and. <laughs> um, um, like a nightclub toilet to AM in Leeds. It's very, it's very reminiscent of this place I used to go in my teens. <laughs> Called the Tarantella in Frodium. Anyway, I, I digress. So the the um, when um, all this is happening, they don't care that you're there. Yeah. So you can get as close as I am to this mic here, you know. And occasionally they'll you'll just be in and they'll flare at you. The big bulls will flare at you. Is that because they might be seeing themselves in the in the dome? Possibly, but uh, it's I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But it's when you know. The, but all the times I've been down there, you know, I, I've never been attacked by one or anything. You know, they, I'm just a nuisance. It's like, can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I know you shouldn't, you know, put human characteristics on an animal, but you know, when you sit there watching them and the way it all goes off, you know, you can relate to the circumstances. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially as an older male like myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's unique. It's um, it's uh, really special, and um, uh, you know when you see it all unfolding uh, before you, and uh, you see the personalities, and you see what's going. I mean, the the, the sneakers, uh, the funniest ones. Uh, so these are the young males. The, the cuttlefish. There's no way of telling a male from a female. Yeah. Right. Apart from the big bulls, they're obviously a, a male. But the point is, they signal to each other with all these fantastic patterns. Right. Mm. So you can't, you can't, you can't physically, physically tell a small a female with against a small male. They look, they look the same. Yeah. Right. They signal to each other. Right. So the small males pretend to be females, 
and kind of sneak in, and the big bull will shove him down there in the seagrass, and while well, he's, you know. And the next thing, <laughs> the, the young fella. male and the female are going at it, and the big bull notices <laughs> and gets irate, yeah. you know, and, sh- and y- you're in right in amongst it when all this is happening. It's really a, a spectacular thing, really very interesting, you know, yeah. from a, um, uh, you know, from being, it's unusual to be able to get that close to those animals and they don't yeah. care. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, I've got one thing on the mind. Yeah, 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 it's, it's... Uh, you can relate to the situation. What the hell? And um, what's what's the viz like then? Because um, it varies. Uh, some days it'll be uh, fantastic. Mm. Uh, other days it'll be murky, you know. But then uh, on the best days, when it's clear, uh, you'll get like beautiful light streaming down. Mm. Uh, late afternoon is good. Early morning is good. Where you know depends when the sun comes up. Mm. We hate you're facing north, so it'll come up over, obviously in the east, and it's shining down in one way. Yeah. Middle of the day, it's coming right down, so it's not so nice. Um, but then in the afternoon, when the, you know you really get some nice light there, and um, yeah, it's uh, spectacular. And what lens are you using on that? Because uh... so I'm I'm using um, the wide angle conversion ball uh, Nauticam uh, thing that I've got. So that's equivalent to. Um, uh, 14 degrees so it's like really super wide because you can get really in close yeah. and when you get a group of them there'll be sometimes there'll be like the big bull uh, two or three females in there and then you've got the the other males sneaking up in the background you know, you know they're like they're like you know, <laughs> photo bomb <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know they're trying to look they're looking for an angle to get in yeah right uh, so you can get really in close, and it, but it's really wide. Yeah. So um, the rectilinear um, effect you get with the WACP is really cool for that. Yeah. So WACP, a wide-angle conversion port. So it's uh, Nauticam uh, have pioneered these water contact op- optics, uh, whereby you know if you're using a wide-angle lens underwater, uh, most people go with a fisheye lens. Yeah. Right, because it's nice and sharp in the corners. But you get that fisheye warping effect, yeah. which in certain circumstances doesn't matter. Others, it stands out. Mm. All right? Personally, I like rectilinear because you don't get that. But the thing is, because you're using a dome, and the dome creates a virtual image, and you're focusing on that virtual image, yeah. you don't get sharp corners. Yeah. That's just a function of optics underwater. You're using the dome as a virtual lens, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what the... WACP does it uses the all the optical formers if, if you like to the physics basically and they've engineered a water contact optic so it corrects everything okay and you get sharp corners and you get it's really really excellent piece of kit yeah expensive and it's heavy it's a pain in the ass <laughs> to travel with to carry you know trying to get in the water with it in in Wyala, you know I mean the 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 thing weighs three kilos by itself. Holy it's full shit. of optical glass yeah, yeah, yeah. to do what it does. Yeah. So it's big and it's heavy. You put everything together. I mean, my camera weighs about 16 kilos. Get out of it. Yeah, getting in the water. So you've got a dry suit with all your weight, yeah. all that shit, you know, and you're trying to get in through with this. And you're only a little fella. That's a third of your body weight. I know, I know, but that's why I go to the gym, so I can do this shit, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, that's what I use, and it's, yeah, the the results are really um, nice, intriguing. Yeah, they kind of show, don't they, in your, in your images? Yeah, I mean, you, you you know, you get what you pay for, and uh, it's, it's an expensive proposition using one of those uh, WACPs, but the... Uh, 
you know, when, when you get the opportunity to get that image, that special mm. image, you're really glad. Yeah, yeah. You've got it. I, I used it in uh, Argentina with the uh, Southern Right Whales. I had a unique experience there, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the it's in the questions. You no, know. let's let, let's talk about this right now because this, this is another one of your trips from. Yeah. So you know. so uh, after after um, uh, South Australia, I went to um, South America. Yeah. So I was doing the uh, crocodiles, American crocodiles in Chinchoro in Mexico, and then had a couple of days where I did the. Cenotes for the first time. I got a guy to take me in, and then I went down to um, Argentina to the. So let me talk about the crocodiles first. That was, yeah, let's let's do it so you don't get lost. <laughs> yeah, that, well that was that was a. Have you heard of Chinchoro? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. a mate that works there. Oh really? Yeah, I don't think he's on the. He wasn't on the same dive shop that you went with. There's only one XTC. Shall oh, I? Must be then. South African guy? No, no. Let me pull up what he. I'll show you a photo. That's probably the easiest way. Yeah. Uh, well, you're looking at so we, we, it was my second trip, and you stay out on the fisherman's huts out at Chinchoro, Banco Chinchoro. Yeah. And uh, basically, there's only one operator who's got the license to do it, and they were in a ship fight with the um, conservation police, CONAMP, the Mexican conservation people. Mm. And when we got there, we had one really good day. It was fantastic conditions. The next thing, the the Conant people turned up with armed soldiers, machine guns, and uh, made it very clear that if we got in the water, uh, we'd have some really big problems. Why? So p- <laughs> politics between the dive centre. I, I believe it's been resolved now oh, Jesus. but it all came to a head when we were there and it was really frustrating we couldn't get in the water you know it was like and, and uh, the staying in these fishermen's huts is not exactly the Hilton you know yeah. and um, uh, very basic and yeah so that was a big disappointment and then but anyway I, it was what it was and um, and then uh, the Cenotes were really good have you done the um, yeah. yeah I've never my first time so I hired Somebody could take me in. Obviously, it's not, that's not something you just go in. And yeah. um, uh, so I got a guide, and I did a couple of days diving there. It was really interesting. I um, I really uh, really enjoyed it. I'll, I'll go back. I'm thinking maybe next year or the year. I don't know. I'll, I'll what, definitely go back. What did you think? Uh, I did it. What 2019? Yeah. Um, what do you think about actually going through the the cenotes themselves? Underwater or getting into no no underwater. I just thought it was fantastic. It yeah. was just, the 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 you know all the limestone structures that um, you know the stalagmites stalactites uh, where they are. Um, and but when you actually get into the cenotes where the light comes down, it's just mm. spectacular. That's that's the bits that I was most intrigued yeah. with. I could have stayed in those entry and exit points all day long. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm going to go back for. Mm-hmm. I. I I had no idea. I had, well, I had a bit of an idea of what was there, but I, until you've done it, well, you haven't done it. I mean, you don't exactly. really know. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was very nervous going in, mm. um, and I can tell you, I never lost sight of that line. <laughs> I <just> hope not. <laughs> um, you know, because it's all well done. All you know, it's all lined off and what have you. But um, I mean, you could get lost in there, and. Um, um, although this was, you know, this was cavern, you know, you, yeah. uh, you know, you weren't doing penetration or whatever, but it was. I was very intimidated at first because I, I'm like extremely cautious about everything uh, when I don't know the score, 
but I loved it. It was really, uh, really good. And that's why I'm going to do next month. I'm just talking about before. Mm. I'm going to do this side mount training in Indonesia to get to get the speed and all that, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, But, yeah, the Sonoxys was... I'll definitely go back because it's pretty unique um, from what I... Um, what I've seen, uh, although I have heard great things about Mount Gambier as well. Uh, a friend of mine uh, has just done a cave diving uh, certifications down there, and she, you know, she waxed lyrically about how nice it is down there. So I don't know. We'll see next year. There's, yeah, Mount Gambier. I, I, I need to dive down there as well. I've had Did a you? lot of people on the show now really? that, that have dived down there and really? do dive there. And, um, and one of the one of the most recent ones was just before Christmas. I had Josh Richards on the oh yeah show, yeah, right, right. Who um, he found the uh, the extension to Anglebrecht East, wow. which was just a little, wow. effectively a little paddling pool. It's now four hundred meters plus, you know. Wow. wow. Um, but the the photos that come out of that place are mm. spectacular. Mm. It's so different from anything else. Yeah. So that's kind of why I'd like to um, go back there and. Um, and you know, but go back with somebody you know and who's already qualified, and then you know, then you can model for each other and all the rest of it. Yeah. It's, it's like it's really difficult. I mean, you can capture the the effect of the synopsis, but you really, you know, to give it perspective, you need a model really. exactly, and yeah. you need also you need lights to mm. give some three dimensional dimensionality to the the cave systems themselves. You know, yeah. and that that uh, needs to be carefully thought out how you do all that yeah. and blah 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 you know so. hit up um, Ryan Duchatel oh yeah yeah in uh, Newcastle yeah. yeah yeah yeah. he's down there all the time really yeah and teaching down there all the time right, as well right. um, plus he likes a beer so maybe he can have a beer in the evening oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um, that's my buddy that was down in Mexico no no I don't know yeah he might have moved on by the time you got yeah. there yeah, it was XTC, wasn't it? XTC, uh, Scalac um, Technical. Yeah. So it's only showing town. Yeah. And um, when I was there, I did it in 2017. There was a Belgian guy called Marcel uh, there. He's over in Socorro now, I believe, yeah. uh, or in Baja. And then there's this, uh, I can't remember, Rene, I think his name is, a South African guy married to a Mexican girl who lives in uh, Cancun. He's He was leading it there, you know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so that was, um, the Crocodiles was a big disappointment, but... Um, <laughs> well, you got a couple of shots, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I got, you know, but, I mean, the, the conditions were um, perfect, you know, the, the water was pretty clear and the crocs were there as soon as we got there and they were, you know, quite active and I was I was planning split shots and all sorts of stuff, you know, yeah. and uh, just no way to do it. So, um, well, I don't know whether I'll go back, but because uh, it's, you know, it's a long way and... Um, but anyway, from there I went, and I guess that was a cut lunch to get there, to get from um, that part of uh, Mexico. I had to go back up to Miami and then all the way up a red eye down to Buenos Aires and then change airports in Buenos Aires and then fly down to um, the Valdez Peninsula, Peninsula hmm. uh, which is in uh, northern Patagonia. Uh, I kind of I, I signed up for the trip. It was quite expensive, and I signed up for it because I saw some of the images that have been taken there. Yeah. And Southern right whales are, um, you know, you can't, you've got them here in Australia and the population's recovered quite reasonably well here in Australia, but it's recovered very strongly uh, from all the whaling, um, uh, you know, from all the commercial whaling that was done. Uh, and the, uh, the Southern right whales in the South Atlantic have recovered quite strongly 
compared to the Northern Atlantic ones, which are really critically endangered now, there's less than about 500 of them left, uh, they reckon. But the ones in, in the South have recovered quite strongly. And one of the principal reasons for that uh, is the Valdez Peninsula, because there's two large bays there um, that are, you know, it's been um, a marine park's been, uh, and it's a full-blown conservation area now that goes out to sea. So, you know, the, the whales are protected when they leave the bay. And um, these southern right whales come in and every year, and that's their mating and breeding and birthing area. And uh, you can, there's obviously a big whale watching uh, industry there. Mm. Well, big industry, you know, there's like about um, where we were, uh, the Pyramides, uh, there's about four boats, I think, that go out on a regular basis, whale watching. Yeah. But if you apply and you prove your credentials, you know, you can't, like, they won't let you get in the water with a, with a GoPro, for example. Yeah, the, yeah. So there's no, if you like, tourism type yeah. in the water. You, you can't rock up there as an open water diver and say, I no, want to go you know, dive. Yeah, I'm just going to, you yeah. know, you can't do that. You've got to apply, you've got to uh, show your resume, you've got to, you know, show what you've, you know, for me, I, I the articles are written on Tonga and Ogasawara in Japan and mm. sperm whales in the Azores and blah, 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 and the stuff on my website. And I got approved. So I, when, wonder, I wonder why. <laughs> well <laughs> um so yeah the, 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 so there was like uh four of us uh who got approved on this permit and then we had our own bowl uh but i still had mixed feelings about whether it would be any good or not you never know till you yeah, get yeah. there and we had um five days first day was uh blown out uh but then uh we had four really good days on on the third day I on the third day I had probably the scariest experience I've ever had in my life in the water. Really, and on the fourth day I had the best experience I've ever had in my life. Both sperm whale car, uh, sorry, sperm whale, uh, southern right whale cars. But on the uh, day three, it was a fairly large calf who clearly thought we were somehow threatening its mother. So the calf was protecting its mother. Yeah. How big was the calf? About five metres. All right. So it's a big beast. It's a big beast, weighs about nine tonnes. Oh, shit. And it was coming straight at us and then coming out of the water above us. Yeah. A good two metres above me. This is why you're in scuba gear and... No, no scuba, you're on snorkel. On snorkel. You can't scuba because it's too dynamic, you know. So you're in the water and it's one of those situations where it's all good till it's not. Yeah. So you had this very large creature mm. who's still a juvenile, mm. but a large creature no, no, nonetheless, that was coming right at us. There's two of us in the water. And the interesting thing was it, it come up out of the water and it was about, I thought, oh my, I thought I'm going to fucking die. You know, it, <laughs> it weighs about eight or nine tons. Yeah, yeah. So if it would have come down on me, yeah. it'd have killed me. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't. It, it would come up. And it, it come up above us, and then it came down in between us. So oh, it knew exactly, and it did this repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. So this was like a warning. Yeah. Uh, and I got it. I, I got the warning, and uh, in, in the end, the boat managed to manoeuvre in between us and the calf. Yeah, yeah. But we had about, it must have been about 30 minutes of this. Jesus. Yeah, where the boat couldn't get in to get us. Really? yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you couldn't get back to the boat, or you no, no, couldn't. You know, we didn't know what was. You didn't know what this what it was going to do. So it was like 
maintain eye contact. You know, yeah. you, well, you had to watch what it was doing because in case it came up behind you or something, I don't know, you know, it was yeah. really scary. Yeah. I tell yeah. you, I was, I was worried. And, uh, and it, God, I didn't get the images. <laughs> I was too busy. You know, I mean, it was just like too dynamic. It was, you know, too scary. It was just yeah. like, well, what were. Uh, ton. Yeah, yeah. And then the next day, I, we went out and we only had the morning because uh, we had to dry all the gear before we flew out the next day. And um, we had this about two hours with El Blanco. Mm. So this was the white calf. Yeah. Um, uh, about 1% of the calves born come out with this white pigmentation. Yeah. And um, so we were really lucky on two calves. One is that it was three counts really one it was there yeah. uh two it was it wasn't aggressive mm. and the third in fact it was playful yeah so we had these just magnificent encounters where it was just coming at us and then stopping and looking at us and dodge and weave and we and come back again you know and the mother was like chilled in the background yeah uh it was just incredible i um you know i just couldn't believe it was happening to us and 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 that, I had the Nauticam WACP thing, and I, I, <laughs> and I got the images. You know, I was like, um, it was really dynamic, the things moving fast, and, um, you know, you're not using strobes, you're just using available light because you're at the surface. Mm. And so I was able to use a, a fast shutter speed to slow everything down and uh, or to capture, you know, the, the action. Mm. But this, the, the, the shallow water and this beautiful white creature mm. and i was fantastic that, yeah. well you got that one photo that you've put up so mm. far haven't you? yeah but i'm I, i'm saving them all for competitions which will, i don't blame you which hopefully i'll have some good news on uh, in the not too distant future we'll see when the results are out but uh uh yeah i i deliberately held them back because uh you know i, I mean how many how many opportunities do you get like that mm. to be with a white calf yeah. I mean, you, you hear, remember the one here in Sydney or Australia, M- 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 Migaloo, I think it was, the, yeah, yeah. the White Humback uh, that we got really famous. So mm. uh, they're there, but, you know, what's the chances of them, mm. of you being in the water with them? That's it. Yeah. And um, so we, we saw it briefly on the first day, mm. first day in the water, day two of the trip. Saw it briefly, um, but it, it just took off, you know. Yeah. Um, but on the last morning, um, two hours. And your battery lasted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I nearly filled the card, you know. It was yeah. uh, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh, good on you. Yeah. yeah. Slightly jealous. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> For another beer? Uh, yes. Yeah, that, um I was thinking on this way there about, you know, getting an animal that's leucistic and the rarity. I think I was talking to, in fact, it was Leo Guido. Saw him uh, at some rally a month or so ago, and um, we were talking about the leucistic hammerheads up in Papua New Guinea. Oh yeah. And for the life of me, I can't find any other footage uh, online other than my little video from 2017. So, mm-hmm. you know, the rarity is just massive. Yeah. And then you look at something as as rare as a a southern right whale mm. and then add leucistic in on top yeah yeah good on you mate cheers cheers mate um, yeah the the, the 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 whole thing of the doing these trips is that uh, because uh, I you know I write about it after you have to 
it forces you to research and get to the bottom of things or to get an understanding, develop an understanding of the dynamics. And then you, uh, all the reading I've been doing about southern right whales and what happened to them, and that, you know, they were just like completely decimated yeah. um, during the, um, you know, the period of commercial whaling because they're so, um, you know, they were so easy to catch. They, yeah. they, they even float after you've killed them, so you can, they can be towed in, you know. And, uh, yeah. So you, you, you read all uh, the, those horror stories, and then you see the way Argentina's done a really good job of the conservation of that area, and how... But what was intriguing to me was that it's a... They've protected them, but they've been really balanced i think you know in in how they allow you to interact with them so you've got the you've got the tourists who come just to see them you know they're happy just to go out of boat and have a look you know okay great yeah. uh, but then if you are really serious about wanting to get in the water you've got hey you've got to pay for it it's not cheap you've got to get your own boat and all the rest of it yeah but then you need a special permit and then the way they vet or they seem to vet who who they allow in the water mm. so it kind of neutralizes the sensationalist side of it shall we say you know of mm. people just getting in the water don't know what they're doing uh, you know mm. um and it puts a good control on it doesn't it i mean you, i'm thinking while you're talking now is i, I compare to other locations and the, the likes of noosa panita love it to pieces mm. but man to point there there's there's no control at all when it comes to, especially when it comes to the no. snorkelers and it's just absolute mayhem it's mayhem and it's dangerous. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, New Spinidi, you've got those huge currents that come through. And, you know, uh, the, it's a it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And they're taking people out, just throwing them in. Uh, they, you know, people don't know what they're doing. Mm. You know, um, and, and you go, uh, you know, on other side, uh, another view of that, have you been to uh, Isla Mujeres, um in uh, the Yucatan for the whale sharks? Mm. Um I mean, we when I did it, we had our own boat and we were out there early. And then, you know, this armada appears over the horizon coming out of Cancun. It's tourists who are guaranteed two whale shark encounters for the day. You know, what that yeah. means is they get thrown in, usually with a, uh, they've got a life jacket on, but, you know, you can, obviously they're not <laughs> water ready, let me put it like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a whale shark goes, that's one, get back in the boat and then go back in again. And then, Two of that, you know, two of those encounters, and they're back on the boat, and everybody goes back to Cancun. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's not a quality experience. It's not good for anybody, really, except yeah. the operators making money. It's not exactly. good for the whale. whale it's certainly not good for the fish. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I, I thought um, I was a bit bemused when I had to apply to go there. You know, I, mm. you know, the operator who I went with, um, Andy Merch, I uh, have done quite a few trips with. He said, look, you've just got to go through, you know, you've got to fill this in. And mm. he says, you'll be all right, you've got your website, you, you can show what you've done. Yeah. It's other people who haven't got that collateral, shall we say, to yeah. reinforce their application. So um, how deeply they, ch they check, I don't know. But at least they're putting up some kind of a barrier yeah. to prevent, um, you know, the, the, the idea. That, and you've got somebody with you all the time. Mm. They assign somebody who comes out on the boat with you. Good. Right, so he, he, the guy was really good. He was very helpful, but he was very watchful as well. Yeah, and, um, and he'd say, "Look, you know, this is you know, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. Uh, we want you to be careful. Don't do this. Don't do, you know? But you're okay. You know, I said, well, you know, could we do this? Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not putting yourself 
or you're not doing any harm to the animals. Yeah. So that's why it got a bit hairy when I, you know, <laughs> when the animal was trying to do some harm to us, yeah. <laughs> or it appeared yeah. like that. But it wasn't really, it was just warning us off yeah. with the benefit of hindsight. But can you imagine that scenario in an environment where there's 10, 15, 20 boats there and a load of people in the water, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a good example of, you know... I, 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 I wasn't aware of what had been done there. Yeah. You know, which I guess is one of the real values of travel, isn't it? You know, you go and you see firsthand and you develop an appreciation, uh, or, or not, hmm. you know. <laughs> and um, I was very impressed with the way it was all done um, there. I, I would certainly go back. Yeah. Um, once I've saved up a bit. <laughs> no, I'm going to say, make some more money first. <laughs> it was, it, it, it was uh, to, to do what I did, I had to, I went from Sydney to uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, which is like 17 hours, then an all night there, then I had to get down from there to Cancun, and then back up to Miami, and then all the night flight, and then coming back, it was like two red eyes. Yeah. Uh, it was a red eye out of Buenos Aires into Dallas-Fort Worth. I had to wait there 12 hours. Right. And then, um, and then check in for the seventeen-hour flight to Sydney. I, I, I didn't know whether you know. But did you do business class or first class? Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when you go on the plane and you turn right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. keep yeah. walking till you can't yeah, walk yeah. any and, further. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right down. If you go anywhere any further, you need a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was in cattle class, but yeah. but. Uh, my uh, status with Qantas gives me access to the lounges and it gives me yeah. gives me uh, 40 kilos of baggage, yeah. 40, 46 kilos of baggage. So that makes it easier. But the lounges are, you know, um, like an oasis and when, when you're doing that, you know, you can get showered, you can get quietly pissed and eat, eat nice food and then you get back on the flight and away you go and you can usually sleep your way through most yeah. of it, you know. Well, we're doing, um, as you know, doing Galapagos in yeah. July. So Sydney through to Dallas Fort Worth, yeah. and we've got to pop across to Miami to yeah. then go down to Ecuador, San uh, Quito, right. and then Quito to San Cristobal. So it's a hell of a journey, yeah. and um, we've accrued quite a number of points now with with the travel. So we're doing. I think we've got uh, a premium economy oh, on yeah, the way yeah, out. That's nice, yeah. And then on the way back, we're doing business class. All right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Need it. It's such a long travel, yeah. and. I mean, my missus is tiny, and um, like you, you're, you're small, so you can fit onto a, an economy seat. Right. But you try being yeah, like I, I, yeah, 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 six yeah. foot two. Yeah, yeah, I, I see your point. <laughs> Seventeen and a bit hours. Yeah, yeah, that's no, no, that's that's uh, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, 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 when I used to work, you know, because I I, I, I don't even know, I give up a perfectly jo- good job to do this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to do what I'm doing now. Um, I used to travel business class a lot. It's, it's, it was wonderful, you know, all over, all day, then everywhere. But um, I just can't justify it. I'm the tra- price to the trips these days. And so I, I just suffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the only one. This will be the first one I've done business class for a long time. I mean, like over, over seven, eight years since mm. I did business class last time. Mm. Um, the rest of the time, it's economy. Mm. Um, I just put up with it. Because nine times out of ten, I don't f- sleep on a flight anyway. No, you, you have a point, but I mean, six foot two, I wish, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I can just about, I can aspire to five foot eight, but it's really five foot seven, so I'm, 
I'm okay. And, um, I, you know, as soon as I get off, I do, I've got a stretching routine to sort of try and get myself back into shape. And, uh, you know, I, 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 for me, it's, um, it's, you know, I, I just do it, you know, yeah. uh, the, it took me 55 hours to get back to Sydney. But the, the thing is that the time that I was awake, I was so happy with my images. <laughs> I was just going to, you know, this white calf, and you know, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is, this is, this is what I live for. You know, yeah. year, you know? and uh, so the, the time flew by. I just, you know, I'm just going through. About, oh my goodness, you know, this is so good. You know, yeah. I think I think that's the beauty of what we do. Um, not only photography, but just actually doing the traveling bit and the adventure and yeah. a little bit of scuba diving as well is a bonus when you get the photo that you want. Mm. But it's just, oh, I think it's uh, it's the perfect medicine for a, a for a fantastic uh, feeling of well being. For me, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's um, you know, uh, it doesn't suit everybody. You know, doing what we do. But uh, if you're into this stuff, uh, just the whole uh, adventure of getting to these remote locations and getting all your gear. I mean, that was the other thing. When, when I was when I did that trip, uh, that was the right at the peak of all the lo- lost luggage, you know, stuff that was going on. And, you know, you, you, you paid all this money to go off and do this stuff, and then it all relies on you being there with your gear. Yeah. You know, so I tried to carry as much as I can with me in my carry-on luggage, you know, but... There's only so much you can get away with. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and um, you know, if your bag doesn't turn up, it's like... So I, I planned mine where, whereby I was... I mean, I was checking in about five hours before yeah. departure to give my bags the best chance. I got a bought a set of Apple Air tags, you know, to so I knew where, you know, where the bags were. And um, and I got all the way through. I didn't, I didn't have any issues, you know, but... Uh, you know, so when you when you get back from that, and you get, you know, I get back to well, I get back to Bali, back to Sydney, and I get down, and, and first thing I do once I've had some sleep is uh, back everything up. Yeah, I've got a, you know a, like a server back everything up to so, and then it's like, wow, I've done it. You know, yeah. I, I've, <laughs> you can relax now. I, I've done it. I've you know did this mission I went on, uh, had all the adventure, and then the interesting thing comes later when you start reviewing the images, and you you know you you, you can relive relive specific moments mm. incredibly well from your images you know you know it all comes back to you what you were thinking at that point in time um and uh, yeah it's you know, it's what i love for i love it yeah yeah, yeah. i had a I, I did the same as you i bought some uh air tags for our recent trip to panita and um i did the wrong thing i sat on the plane when we we're getting ready to take off and they're, they're not pushed back yet and they're not turn, told you to turn your phones off so I had a quick look to see where the Apple Air tags were, mm. and by the map it looked like yeah. my main luggage was a hundred meters away, yeah, and we're yeah, starting yeah, to push yeah, back. I'm like, yeah. oh fucking hell, yeah. I'm I'm not diving for another day <laughs> yeah, or two. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I've learned from that one: just don't look at it until you yeah, get to your yeah, destination. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and when you land at the other, and it's still showing it's in Sydney. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh no! You know, and then suddenly, and it's like it's. Build you. <laughs> <laughs> it only comes up with here. Peekaboo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was uh, that was the big adventure of um, uh, South America. Then I was in. Uh, I tell you what, before you go on to that, yeah. how, how do you travel with all the camera equipment? Do you do you take all of the camera equipment as hand luggage, 
What do you the put short something? answer is with great fucking difficulty. Yeah. No. So what I do is um, uh, my lenses and my camera bodies, uh, the hard drives, uh, and that stuff, and my computer. Uh, I have in my backpack. Yeah. So I personally use a think tank backpack, which is um, it, it's quite big. Somehow it doesn't look like it's big. I don't, yeah. It's a kind of an optical illusion. So you, 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 I can stand there, and people don't seem to notice. And then I've got a uh, smallish uh, kind of roll-on zipper bag. Yeah. And I put my housing, and I put my, my drone, and I put the uh, um, some of the other stuff in there. I can't put that WACP thing in uh, in there. It's just too heavy. Yeah. Uh, but that goes in my suitcase. But I've got a smaller dome I carry as a backup that's with me now but really like all my cables and other stuff it's in the suitcase anyway so yeah. I'd be pretty screwed you know with so it's, it, for me it's just a question of what's the most um, sensible way to travel so that the thing is my my uh, carry-on is easily 25 to 30 kilo yeah you know so I I uh, you know, I, uh, one of the reasons I go to the gym is so I can stand there and look like it's not heavy, <laughs> yeah. you know, and check in. Uh, the reality is if I fell over, I can't get up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a turtle on its back. <laughs> yeah, 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 a turtle on its back. But usually I get away with it. Yeah. Um, and the key to that really is politeness. Yeah. Uh, I'm always, like, super polite, uh, you know. Uh, it helps if you're, like, super early as well, like you were saying yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the um, uh, the Qantas, because uh, I, I, um, I'm a status of Qantas, it gets me the equivalent with um, American Airlines. Mm. Now, the last time I traveled American Airlines down to, into Mexico, I wasn't the same status, and I had traveled economy, and it was a real hassle. Yeah. With my with my uh, carry on. Yeah. Right. This time, because of my status, um, I got you know premium check in. Yeah. They didn't even ask. They just give you a little curtsy on the way through. And yeah, it was like you know <laughs> just just it was brilliant. Yeah. And you get priority boarding. Yeah. Whereas if you're in an economy, you'll be like you know last to board, and they take your bag off you. Yeah. And and put it down in the hold. And it's, it's camera. Sorry, sorry, sure you can't go. It's like. So that that's how I manage it. Um and um but for example, like so my last trip of the year was I was back in Papua New Guinea, um in for three weeks, which is you know, been away for three years. And um I, I travel up to uh, Moresby on Qantas, so no issues. But once you get uh if you if you fly into New Guinea on Air New Guinea, you get thirty five kilos allowed on the domestic flights. Check in plus a fifteen kilo divers allowance. Yeah. So if you just go as a tourist, shall we say, you get thirty five kilos on the domestic flight. Yeah. If you plus fifteen for di- uh, scuba divers. Yeah. If you're not going in, um, Air New Guinea, you get sixteen kilos. So you're going to get whacked. So I've, I've typically got like at least forty kilos. Yeah. And then I've got my carry on. Yeah. And the small planes, you know. So the the my uh, I know from experience that my backpack will go under the sea, and if I'm careful with this other roll-on thing, mm. I can get it in the overhead locker of a Dash Eight. Okay, it'll just go in. Yeah, you know, like the two feet Dash Eight. You know, you know, you know, you know yeah. those. It'll just go in. Yeah, bit of a squash, but you, it'll go in. You know, um, 
and that's uh, you know uh, then it's just a question of being polite and <laughs> showing you showing the excess baggage you've just paid on your check-in luggage yeah. helps to get through the you know the the final check with with uh, uh, to go into boarding you know with the, with the, all you carry on yeah and you usually get away with it you know yeah yeah but it, it, it's it's just a hassle it is yeah I mean I, I now that I've upgraded on my gear um, you know with the the mirrorless and then the the iClight housing that comes with it. Everything that I carry in, much the same as you, it's all camera equipment that I'm carrying on the rucksack and then in the wheelie bag. Mm. And then I've got maybe two or three pairs of grots and socks that are just packing everything out mm. and everything else is in the right. in the hand in the in the suitcase. But the um the reason I ask is I I've not fathomed a way of putting my uh, tray and arms and all that kind of thing into it. I, that all just goes into no, the suitcase I, I, I as well. Just you know, hope and um, yeah. put it in the because I, I, I I've just got too much stuff. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you can't carry all that. And um, you know, I, I've, I've tried where to have like a minimum kit that I can still take photographs underwater mm. with me in my but. <laughs> It's too difficult, you know. You're like you forget the battery charge. So, yeah. You know, it, it's like it, it doesn't really work. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, the air tags are great. Unless you know where your bag is, um. <laughs> or, or torches. Yeah. <laughs> when my bag uh, got lost on, I was I came down from Srinagar in India, right, and I landed in Delhi, and my bag wasn't there. Yeah. Right. It turned out they'd opened. A long story, but they. they 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 wanted they found some battery in there and I had to go in Srinagar, yeah. and then they didn't put it on the flight. Huh. I don't know. It was that to punish me. I, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, when I got to Delhi, uh, there was no bag yeah. with all my stuff, and I was on a flight in four hours to Sydney, and I just I managed to fill the form in, and it was actually arrived in Sydney the next day. They yeah. found it in Srinagar. They got it down there. Air India actually did a really good job. They got it to Sydney. Mm. Have you ever been to where they store the bags in Sydney? Don't no, no. Don't. Is it a nightmare? You, you lose the will to live. Really? I, I assumed that there was a system. Yeah. Right? So I took all my... I, 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 I got in on the Sunday, and on the Tuesday, I established that my bag was in Sydney. Yeah. Air India told me it was in Sydney. So I, I, I said, well, where? And I, I found the office in Sydney Airport. Where these bags are go, yeah. where these bags go to die. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk in and there's fucking bags everywhere, right? Yeah. But they've all got the tags on and they've all got you know the barcodes. Yeah. So I thought because I've got my 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 baggage receipts, I thought there'd be a system. Well, the logic says there's going to be a little fella with a scanning machine and he'll tell you exactly where it is. Yes, I thought. I, what I said, you know, and they said, well, I said. Can you tell me where my bag is? Is it in here yet? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I said, well, is there a system? No. I said, well, what is your system? Well, we just work through all... You know, I mean, there's, there's like hundreds of bags yeah. stacked up. Yeah. And they just work the way through them and, you know, track the person and say, you know, and... Jesus. Yeah. So uh, I said, well, can I go and look? So I, I walked all the way, climbing, no, no bags, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was about 
I, I, I went and bought new stuff because I was going to South Australia on the, on the Saturday. And I thought, Friday afternoon, I thought, I'll go and try again. Yeah. So I went back again, turned on polite mode. So, you know, you don't want to harass. They've got a bad job. <laughs> They've got a shit job. You know, you're, you're dealing with irate people. Bag- yeah. I rate bagless people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For eight hours at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, I, and there was this lovely woman. She says, oh, yeah, maybe. Cause the, and the basic problem was, if your bag comes in unaccompanied, it has to be x-rayed right. by customs, who are short-staffed. Yeah. So they said, well, they've just released some. Let's go and see. So they, she took me through where she's not supposed And I walked around the cotton. There was my back. It was, oh. it was like it was like falling in love again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the my heavens pre- open. My precious, where have you been? You know? <laughs> forget the claims. Forget, just give me my bag. I'm going. Yeah, you know? yeah. So away I went with my bag. But honestly, if you... Um, I wouldn't travel without those air tags now. It'll tell you where it is. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I've got a I've got a mate from uh, Canada, um, and they they were visiting Sydney um, not so long back. So they came over to us for a, a bit of a catch up, a bit of a piss up really, but um, yeah, a bit of a catch up. And they um, first put us onto the air tags mm. because he had a almost the exact same scenario, but in America, mm. and he's having the debate with the person on the till that's saying, "No, we haven't got your bags," and he's like, "Well." There's my phone. Right. There's the thing flashing, right. Right. and I've just seen that door open and close, and my bag's behind it. Yes, you know, it tells you exactly where they, where they are. They're, they're worth the weight in gold. Yeah. They're, they're not cheap. You know, I've got like six of them now. I want everything. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but they're worth it. They're just worth it because yeah. you you know you can track it down. Yeah, you can yeah. tell the well, it's here, and you can give the GPS coordinates of where your bag is. And it's it's that also that thing where I mean I'm thinking back to another scenario where I was going through and doing the um, the Banda Sea crossing. Yeah, and we got through to uh, Malmere, and there was four people without their bags. Mm-hmm. And when we were pushing back on the on the on the flight from where we were coming in from, Bali, probably. I think it was Bali. Yeah, but pushing back anyway, you could see the trolley mm. and the four bags. Mm. You know, mm. uh, we might need them, mm. and clearly they're not coming. But if they had air tags, it would save you so much yeah. hassle when you get to the landing point because you can literally show the phone and say, yeah. "Well, that's where they are." That's where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Get them here. You know. Yeah. No, they're they're, um, they're essential. If that's not an advert for Apple air tags, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, it, it's one of those. <laughs> it, it, it's just common sense. It's just a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant idea. Yeah. Well, we've got four now, and uh, we we definitely used them all for Nusa Panida. Probably get another couple for Galapagos. Um, well worth it. Yeah. Have you done? Um, have you ever been to Roatan? No. Okay. I was going to ask you some questions about Roatan. No, I don't. But, uh, clearly, you're not been, so it doesn't matter. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could make something up. Well, I, <laughs> I normally do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've no. I, yeah, well, I don't, I don't even know what it is. Well, be, because we were going, because we're doing the Galapagos, and it's a week long, like we did last time. We tagged on. We we actually did a, f- a big trip last time, like five weeks. Um, but we did all the little hot spots along the route as well on the way back. So we did uh, Mexico and, and up into, um, um, oh, fucking hell, what's it called? Um, Cozumel. Mm. Um, and, and did the um, cenotes. This time, we were kind of looking, where the hell are we going to go this time? Mm. And, you know, you've got all these little bits in the Bahamas and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm, I'm one of the admins for a, a Texas dive 
group on Facebook. Thousands of people in it. And there's so many people that harp on about how good Roatan is. So I thought, you know what? Fuck it. We'll go and check it out. Mm. So really looking forward to that. Cool. Looking forward to the Galapagos as well. Yeah, well, the Galapagos will be epic. <laughs> I've, I've never done it. It's like... Uh, oh, get out of it, mate. No, no, it's, it's like... Uh, it's it's so far from here yeah. and so difficult and so expensive at times, you know. I mean, I think you've got a really good deal from what I... What I uh, from the tempting offers you've been <laughs> <laughs> enticing me with. Yeah. But the... Um, yeah, it, it's... It's, um, it, it's kind of... It's out there. It's one of those things I, I you know... I'm, I'm thinking of doing um, Dominica uh, next year for the sperm whales, yeah. and uh, it, like you say about t- you know if you're going you're going to go that far, well you know can you tag on something else and you've got you know, to, haven't you? Yeah, but from this side of the world, you've got to. right, right, yeah. Because you, if you're going to go, you know you might as well go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can come in July if you like. I'll put you on a tradesman price. <laughs> 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 Stop it! Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, mate. It's like you've been catching up with the trips that you you had delayed because of COVID. This yeah. is my one big one that has been delayed since then. Yeah, it's a good one though. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then, so, so, so let me tell you about um, what we were doing in New Guinea because that was uh, I was just moving on to that. Uh, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, uh, do, do you know a guy called Sean Toomey? You ever heard of him? No. He lives in uh, Maruba. He's a kind of a tech diver. Dives with Dive Centre Bondi, and uh, he, through a mutual um, acquaintance, uh, approached me about June last year. Really interested in the wrecks in Papua New Guinea. Mm. Where, where, you know where they are, what they are. You know, and um, so I met up with him in, in the pub, believe it or not, mm. and uh, uh, he showed me. Uh, what he's been doing with, um, I, I couldn't even say it initially, photogrammetry is... is, is the I was t- literally talking about this with Dan, Dan Johnson last Were week. Oh, yeah. We couldn't say it either. I to oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I was dazzling Dan with the, uh, the with, with some of the animation. So, so <laughs> it's complicated, to say the least. But the basic thing is that you take a lot of images. Yeah. Um, to map out um, a structure. Hmm. Yeah. In this case, uh, these are world, mainly were World War II uh, aircraft wrecks, plus we managed to get to uh, a place called New Hanover to dive on a Japanese mini-submarine that's there, hmm. which is one of the same class of subs that attacked Sydney in, the, in World War II. Hmm. So a unique wreck, really. Um and uh, what the way we worked is that um, um, we were supported on the trip by uh, listening. You, you know, Ange, you know, yeah. uh, Ange and Dima, I'm on, and uh, they. When I pitched the idea to them about what we wanted to do, they were you know very supportive because they've got these really classic wrecks in the Kaviang area, and they've got access to this. The mini sub and the uh, Japanese warships that were sunk by um, uh, the US Air, Air Force in World War Two up in, in New Hanover. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way we did it was Sean was doing the all the stuff for the photogrammetry, and I was taking the still images to illustrate the condition yeah. of the wrecks as they are now. Yeah. Right. So obviously I had an advantage because I've been there uh, before, dived out all of it before. Sean was kind of new to it, but he'd like seen the stuff on my site and he'd done a lot of research himself. 
Um, and uh, he was able, uh, he, did, he shot in the end, he was shooting mainly video. Yeah. So he'd do a pass down the side and a little bit higher up and, you know, and, and just try and get as many images as he could of the specific structure. Yeah. And then from the frames that come off, the, uh, he was using a Panasonic GH5, which is a very good uh, video camera. So every, say, 20, 20th frame, he would take a still image of that, mm-hmm. put it into like a, a sidecar, if you like, and then take all those images in the sidecar and build them in the photogrammetry software mm-hmm. into this three-dimensional uh, image that can be animated and rotated around. Yeah. It's amazing what can be done. So we, we, we there was, he, I'd never dived this particular wreck before, but there was a, a B-25 there, just on the edge of the mangroves in, in near a place called Albatross Passage, which is one of the classic dive sites in Caviang. Mm. Fantastic site in the right conditions where the, the, the current's coming in, mm-hmm. bringing with it clear water from the Bismarck Sea. But once you get into the actual passage itself, you're right on the edge of the mangroves. And, (laughs) you know, it's less than most two metres visibility. Yeah. Right. And there's this B-25 that's there, uh, which is a really interesting backstory to it all. Um, uh, How it crashed and blah, 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 you know, all the details. But um, we have a video of Sean... Um, doing the video right, and it's like it's like really shit visibility, you know, uh, terrible, terrible. Vis- it took us about thirty-five minutes to find the wreck. <laughs> I mean, we went down where we knew it was, yeah. and we couldn't find it because it was, you know, we just couldn't see it. Eventually, we stumbled on it and put an SMB up, and we, you know, and Sean went round there and uh, captured all the video, and then you know, took out the the stills from that. And compile them into this model, and it's amazing what comes out. Yeah, you get this, you get this um, um, compiled image of what the wreck is, but without all the vi- the, visi- uh, the the bad vis, all the part, all that's gone. Yeah, as part of the processing, and then you can animate it and turn it around, and then you can, you know, the the B twenty five is badly broken up, the tails off to one side, but then you. If you've got the original drawings, which Sean's managed to find, you can rebuild it. Yeah. And you can put... So he's, he's got this uh, shot of the cockpit, um, and he's got the original image of what the cockpit would look like, and he's managed to superimpose all the instruments, and it, it just transforms the whole thing. It becomes absolutely magical, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so we did this with the wrecks, uh, the various wrecks there, and then we went up to New Hanover and we stayed there overnight um, at the surf camp and we dived uh, mini sub four times. And he managed to, we got all, all the external of, this sub, of, of the submarine and then he got a GoPro and a light and the conning tower was open and we put on a stick, on a broomstick. Yeah. And he put the GoPro down into the sub and he, you know, he turned it back into both ways Mm-hmm. And it, from that, he's managed to rebuild the inside of the sub. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So it, 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 all the hard, all the heavy lifting is with Sean at the moment while he does all this um, all this work. But we've got this project that we're, you know, going to put together and probably launch it in about the middle of the year. Yeah. About it, it's, it's like, I'm calling it rebuilding history. 
So you've got these wrecks that have been down there since World War II. Hmm. In various states of disarray, some are instantly recognisable, others are not. And we were rebuilding these and making it all, and then all the backstory to the, you know, the, uh, uh, to, you know, when the plane went down, how it went down, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. I mean, looking now at, um, to do more in New Ireland and New Hanover, and also go to, I'm probably going to Rabaul in July yeah. to look at the wrecks there in the harbour, which yeah. was, uh, Rabaul, Papua New Guinea's truck lagoon. Yes. You know, um, uh, plus all the volcanic ash, you know. But there are some of the wrecks that are still diveable, and we're going to look at doing that um, in uh, probably next year. But I'm going to survey in uh, July, hopefully. Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, really interesting. Yeah, are you going to get him to go down and do um, the pissed off and the blackjack as well? That's the that's the holy grail uh, to get there. But the thing is, um, it's not easy to get there. Yeah, no. Uh, I've you, done several times. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> you, you, you know better than I do. I mean, I've done it a few times, but the, the, I mean, the, the nearest land-based location is obviously two feet, but it's, yeah. it's a cut lunch to get there, isn't it? Oh yeah, and it's fifty meters, so you know. Uh, so that's part of the reason I'm, I'm doing this, you know, um, side mount course next month, so mm-hmm. I can get to these deeper wrecks and we can do this photogrammetry on them because um, it really uh, it, it's hard to describe to visualise until you see the actual animations. Yeah. Uh, but it's just on a completely different level. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the basic thing is that, I mean, I can go there, like, on the blackjack, mm. right? So you can, uh, if you get in the right position and you've got enough air, uh, you can get a really good two-dimensional view yeah. of the wreck yeah. in its entirety, that B-17, which, you know, is fantastic, isn't it? Mm. Um, but you're relying on depth of field to give you any level of three-dimensionality into the wreck. Yeah. What the photogrammetry does is give you a complete animatable 3D model of that wreck as it lies there. Yeah. And then you can superimpose all the original livery, you know, the... the 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 um, you know the 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 blackjack symbols on the side and blah 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 you know yeah. and and the, the other one the B twenty five the pissed off yeah you know the the livery that was on the side of that you can superimpose that onto it mm. it's amazing yeah really interesting and, well I was actually talking oh it's going back a number of years now it was before COVID actually um, with Miko Passi he's heavily into the photogrammetry. In fact, they've just completed a project in the mines in one of the Scandinavian countries, and it's it's fucking phenomenal what they've produced. Um, But, yeah, we were talking about... He picked my brains about going over to Papua New Guinea and Mm. doing the blackjack and and doing it from the inside, because you can actually get inside the blackjack. Um, There's an open door. Yeah, I know there is, but... Because that's how they've got the call sign, but they um, um, but brave the man to me going to get in to go inside, you know, because well, it's debris, you know. Yeah, but it's it, it's actually very very open. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, if you have a look at P seventeen and the size of the side, um, effectively, what would be a passenger door if it was a right. an airliner? Right. The whole thing is missing oh, on, right. on both sides, so you can actually get in and out very easily. There's a couple of cable runs just at the top of the door. Yeah, um, but as long as you're going in and there's no current you know every now and then you get current at the blackjack yeah. but it's, it's very rare you better explain what the blackjack is we're, we're... Uh, yeah 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 so the, bla- the blackjack is a b17 and it lies at 48 meters off the coast of um the beach or the local village is called boga boga um and it's absolutely beautiful 
beautiful. It's like, it's like a film set, isn't it? It's it is. Yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah, and it's it's very humbling when you go there as well because the people of the of the village remember you. Mm. You know, and I've been there. I don't know, maybe four or five times now. I can't remember. Um, and they have a little book just to register the, the the people that are coming and the divers, and you pay twenty kina, whatever that is, you know, twenty bucks to go and dive it per person. And you can see how few people mm. have dived it since you were last there. And my last break was like two and a half years between dives. Mm. And um, I think there was four people mm. in that two and a half years. Which I have to get to. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. Mm. But it's so beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd, I would love to go back and do this kind of project on the blackjack and i'd already spoken about it with the locals as well and they would be willing mm. for us to pitch tents on the beach and mm. be part of the community mm. overnight and have barbecues the village, whole thing they? yeah they're fantastic yeah yeah um but if you end up going back before me let yeah. me know because i'm going to buy a shit ton of cheap shades just so the people of the village can because they, they suffer greatly from um uh, sand blindness because of the glare of the oh, white right? the, the white sand that yeah, they're living yeah, on yeah, yeah. Right. find it very difficult to uh, as they get older yeah, like yeah 35 yeah. 40 years old there's a lot of them that are getting a bit bit blind in the old eyeballs because oh, of it right. so yeah i just uh i think uh you know ship in a load of cheap shades yeah. and just make everyone happy and sit around oh, that's and chew on yeah. the billum and <laughs> not on the billum sorry yeah. <laughs> beetle nut beetle nut yeah, yeah. But no, it's um, it's a, a, a arguably one of the most recognisable wrecks mm. in Papua New Guinea and probably the world as well. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I got approached by a, a, um, a company from London, a media company from London, actually, just before Christmas, asking if uh, they could use my video footage of the wreck in, in one of their um, docos. Oh, really? Um, so yeah, open to that idea, but yeah. I'm, I'm very aware that it's the best that's out there at the moment so um, you know let me know how much you're going to pay and then I'll think about it good on you <laughs> got to pay for that business class ticket haven't you yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah man's got to do what man's got to do you know yeah. no seriously the, 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 the blackjack is the holy grail um, yeah. but the um, Sean and I are mulling over how uh, Sean's going to start like a, a training company to uh, train people how to do photogrammetry yeah uh, and um, we're talking about running trips to Papua New Guinea next year mm-hmm. uh, to do this photogrammetry and so um, you know if you're going to take 8 to 12 people to die blackjack that's a major logistical challenge I know I've done it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you had hair before you did that didn't you? I did yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it, nothing it, was grey. <laughs> it's um, it's a major logistical challenge, and you know that depth. Um, I would actually strongly urge that you have those numbers mm. and just increase the price because if mm. if people really want to do it and do it with skilled people, yeah. they're going to pay it. Because trying to take twelve people, yeah. it's it's a logistical a nightmare. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it is really special, but anyway, we, we, we're gonna if we do it, we uh, we'll cut our teeth on uh, the because the, the thing about the Kaviang wrecks and also the New Hanover wrecks is uh, they're not technical dives. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're in the, the, the deepest is DP, which is a fantastic um, Japanese seaplane, which is in forty meters. It's it's one of my favourite wrecks anywhere. It's no. it's not on the size of Blackjack, but in terms of the 
photogenic nature of it, it's it's up there, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Um, but that's in forty meters, so you, you know you don't get long down there, you know. But the it's a reasonably safe dive apart from the depth, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, blackjack takes it even further, and like you say, it's um, it's very challenging. So we're gonna we're gonna cut our teeth, I think. First, first of all, with um, the wrecks in uh, New Island, New Hanover, and then if the Rabal thing comes off, uh, if those wrecks that Dan, who you did the podcast with recently, um, uh, if that works out in Rabal, then we'll probably do that in mm. uh, next year, mm. 24. Uh, the idea is to go along the north coast of New Britain, some of the best, so it's kind of reefs and wrecks yeah, uh, yeah. is what we're mulling over. Uh, but the the goal would be to eventually get to blackjack. But that's a good point. You know, mm. Yeah, I mean, limit the numbers and and increase the price basically. You know, yeah. to, to cover for the reduced numbers to for the quality experience. You know? Well, get him to get him to hit me up. And I'll talk to him over beers. And logistically, I'm probably the best man to know how to do it. Yes, you are. Actually, quite honestly, yeah, 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 yeah. You've done it more than I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's there's a number of ways I'm thinking off the top of my head now, but I'm not going to divulge on it on air. I'll keep that to myself. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but, another six-pack. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, seriously, um, I'm, I'm super keen to... Uh, any information I've got, I'm more than happy to share with you guys to do that. And, um, you know, if it, uh, if you're going to be doing those trips up north as well, um, give me the details. We'll chuck it on the Maddox Scuba because that's, that's going to be live again in a month's right, time. Okay, yeah, and we'll advertise the trips and get as many people on it as well, possible. Go, go. Yeah, get some funding behind it. Yeah. Hmm. I uh, I forgot one. I forgot uh, one trip um, um, that we that we skipped over. It. I went to Tasmania in um, in October. Mm. Um, the handfish. Yeah, uh, that was a really interesting trip. I've, uh, have you been down to Tassie? Never. It's a. I, I I have to admit, I was one of those people. Used to make jokes about the Tasmanians. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like you know, you know, the Canadians joke about the newfies, and you know, Americans joke about Mexicans or something. I don't know, um, but it's just a spectacular place. It yeah. really is um, beautiful little island, you know, and you, you don't, um, you know, you could an hour out of Hobart, and you're you're in the most fantastic country, you know. Uh, yeah. And um, so I'd been I'd been down there a few times, but I'd never dived down there. So um, um, a friend of mine, Chelsea Hibich, uh, and I um, decided last year. Uh, Chelsea's the person I do all my South Australian trips with. She's really good diver, knows um, um, South Australia extremely well. Lives in Adelaide, hmm. and uh, but it, her ambition was to get to Tasmania. So we decided we. We set the date about a year ago, and we went down there in uh, in October, and based ourselves at Eagle Hawk on the east coast, and we dived uh, the sites around uh, Eagle Hawk, and then we went up to Bishino up in the north and mm-hmm. dived that a few times, and then we also did the Derwent River looking for handfish, uh, which was quite an experience. <laughs> but yeah, I I was blown away with the uh, a couple of things about the diving there, Eagle Hawk. Uh, the deep coastal reefs there are just spectacular. That's uh, the ones that you sh- you put a couple of photos up with the sponges. The sponges, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's, I mean, 
it's full on diving. You know, yeah. you 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 expose uh, the uh, the scenery, the topography, shall we say, above water and below water is intimidating, but intriguing and immense. You know, scary. Scary, yeah. It's it's not for the faint-hearted, because yeah. uh, you know you've got to watch the weather and and the uh, Eagle Hawk Dive Centre. Uh, Karen Gallet Holmes, who who runs it with a, a guy called uh, Mick Barron, um, she's uh, formerly CSI or well, she's written books on marine. You know, she's extremely knowledgeable, yeah. extremely knowledgeable. And Mick is just the best boat skipper I've possibly known. Really? Oh man, he he can manoeuvre that boat, you know, like um, you know, just like you have total confidence in his ability. Yeah, he he's the guy you want in the boat picking you up. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But he doesn't suffer fools gladly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to leave your ego <laughs> back at the dive shop because he'll. You know, I don't think anybody died wondering what Mick thinks. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'll let you know. Uh, but fantastic guy, a really, really fantastic guy. So he got us into these spots on um, there's what there's one area called the Three Sisters. We were fortunate to dive that twice. So that's um, forty meter dive, and you get down once you get down to about thirty five. I mean, you're diving in a, like thirteen, fourteen degrees. You're in a dry suit. You know it's cold. You know you're in a cold water environment because every all your senses are telling you, apart from your sense of sight, because these these fantastic, incredibly colourful gullies and galleys, you know, where, where all these sponges are, and it's like wow. And the clarity as well, the cold water. It, it, yeah, it, it's it's uh, so uh, the two die. I'm just looking at my images of the night. I went to the same spot, took the same photograph of this like sponge garden, and on one I've got really beautiful clear blue water. You'd think we're in Kimby Bay or somewhere. Yeah. You know, the colours and the blue water and the uh, the sponges, the, 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 the ecosystem, shall we say. Yeah. Makes you think you're on one, you know, the, the you know, the, the offshore reefs in two feet. Yeah. You know, um, it's just like the colour. Obviously the species are different, but the colours... You know, it's like doesn't compute. You know, you know you're in cold water. You know, you know you're diving in a dry suit, and you're in deep. You know, you're down deep. Yeah. And there's this incredible colour. You know, and there's another place called the North Wall that we dived again, similar sort of thing where you're probably thirty metres there, but it's just epic, yeah. absolutely epic. You know, so I'm going back. I'm going back there. This was uh, this was a revelation for me. Uh, diving i mean i heard about it and there's also in that area there's the nord uh, that's at 42 meters uh and it's in completely recognizable as a wreck and it's in these cold water currents so there's all sorts of stuff around it you know mm. so it, it's but again challenging yeah you know you've got you've got to know what you're doing sort of thing and and be ready for that so that's why i'm going to do the tri- uh, side mount stuff yeah that i'm um i've signed up to do next month in uh gilly uh, in the gilly islands in indonesia um so i'm better able to do that sort of stuff you know because mm. I, I mean i dived on a single tank and i was like you know i was like mm, you know um you're watching your ndls and oh I mean, yeah yeah i mean acutely <clears> conscious <throat> of where you are you know yeah. I, so it was for me uh, it was I, I was safe. I was okay. I did all my deco, you know, uh, all my stocks and what have you. But the the point was, the margin for error isn't is narrow when you're doing that. I, you know, you need twin tanks. Yeah. 
um, really, to do all that safely. And uh, But, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on going back to Tasmania probably about October this year yeah. to dive all that stuff again um, because it was just... It was just brilliant. Mm. Fishing Hall was really nice. I um, I got some nice images there. It was very pleasant. And the drive up from um, from Eagle Hawk going up the East Coast, you go through the Freysinet area, Wineglass Bay, you know, it's, it's to die for. It's just like a <laughs> really beautiful, picture perfect. picture perfect place. And then <laughs> at the other end of the scale, the Derwent River. So the hand, <laughs> the hand fish are uh, critically endangered. They reckon there's probably less than the spotted handfish um, is probably less than 3,000. The red handfish is much less. Yeah. Um, it's a type of anglerfish, you know, um, uh, frogfish type of creature that's um, sedentary on the, on, the, uh, uh, on the seabed there in the river. Uh, and they, between six and eight metres is where they hang out. Mm-hmm. But you get in the, you know, there's, and it's almost like a state secret, um, we had somebody who showed us the general area but said, you're on your own. You know, you've got to find it yourself. <laughs> so me and Chelsea went in. I, I, I lost Chelsea after about two minutes, you know. It was yeah. like three metres viz. And um, so I, I discovered I can read a compass again. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a head in and I went out and I got to six metres and I stayed around six to eight. But I mean... Two metres viz, you know, because yeah. there's been a lot of rain in Tassie. Yeah. So the Derwent was killing all that, you know, particulate out. It was, you know, quite and it was cold. Hmm. But I found one. Yeah. Yeah, I found one. And uh, so they, you've got to be really careful with them because um, um, uh, some of them, where they are with eggs, they stay with the eggs and they look after the eggs. And if you, you, you know, they're quite small. They're about maybe three inches long. Hmm. Um, but there might be one. And you're, while you're, you're while you're looking at that one, I thought you, you might land on the other with the eggs. Yeah. So you've got to be really careful about where you are. Yeah. Get your buoyancy right, and make sure you're not doing a, doing more damage than you, you even know you're doing. And then you know I limited myself to like about four photographs. So I, I took really took my time before I took the first one. But you know you don't want to you know uh, harm the animal basically because yeah. they're critically endangered. But yeah, it was uh, it was a really interesting experience to uh, you know you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was in seven meters, but you wouldn't know. You, th- you could be like fifty meters for all the, yeah. you know, there's, there's almost no viz, and um, and it's cold, and but there's these unique creatures there. So it's, it kind of, I don't know, personifies Tasmania. You know, it's like really this unique stuff there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's. Um, I, I, Chelsea really enjoyed it as well. I, I really, really enjoyed it, and so much so I'm going to go back and and uh, uh, do more. But it's not for the faint-hearted, you know. It's not, um, um, it's not something you can just rock up and go and do. You know, yeah. you got to be ready. I, uh, uh, I all the stuff I've done in South Australia prepared me, but even then it was a bit like we turned up on the first day, and Mick says, you know, hey, uh, we can dive the three sisters today. Because uh, the conditions were right, he says, "But it's forty meters and it's cold. Are you are you okay with that?" And I said, "No, I'm not. Not, not on the first day. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do that." And uh, Chelsea said the same. He said, "Okay, no problem. Why to ask?" If we'd have said, "Yeah, we'd put, he'd have put us in," yeah. But then, you know, um, you You'd know, have had a shit dive and come up and not really done anything. You know, uh, yeah. were we right? No, we weren't. We're not in the right headspace for that. 
Good lad. So we 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 dived a couple of the uh, place called Cathedral Cave, and then we did um, Deep Glen Valley, I think it was called. So you know, you kind of built up to, and on about the third day, he said, "Okay, we, we, the conditions are good for three sisters. Do you want to try it?" Hmm. Okay, I'm ready now. Yeah, uh, and we got in. But even then, even though I was ready, it was still uh, quite intimidating. You, hmm. you know, just the the aura of the place, basically. You know, and. Uh, but intriguing. Uh, I'm, I'm going back. You know, I'm going to go back and and do some more. I'd love to do it. Mm. Um, we will get down there and do it. But every time that Mrs. mentions Tasmania, my brain goes into what kit am I taking? Fucking everything. <laughs> I'm thinking of all the sh- all the lenses for above water and beneath. And, and, but that's the way, the right way to go because yeah. uh, there's. Uh, when I go back, I'm going back. I'm going to probably go back for two weeks. I'll yeah. base myself there, um, round Eagle Hawk. Um, but if you can't dive, you can take above water stuff, and there's some beautiful scenery there. Yeah, you know, really, really spectacular scenery. Well, I, I like the old uh, night stars. Oh you yeah, know, the, yeah, the sky yeah. shots, and mm. I know you were playing around with them just yeah. before COVID, weren't yeah. you? Yeah, that's right. Um, I really enjoy that, and um, yeah, I've been told there's literally no ambient light down there at all <laughs> yeah it, it's um you know that's the other side of Tassie I suppose it's quiet you know um uh, I mean you got you've got to um you've got to get to uh get to the pub for you know you're gonna eat out you've got to get there before eight o'clock or those everywhere's closed you know, so it's like <laughs> it's like you know and there's nowhere else you know it's like yeah. um you know everywhere everywhere's short you know so you just got to you know be aware of all that and um uh, and deal with it, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, so that's—is that all of your trips that you've done? Yeah, that, that, yeah. that's uh, you know we we um, we did the photogrammetry in uh, New Hanover, New Island, and and then I went to Kimby Bay and I went back on Oceania and we went out to the Witter Islands mm. and um, dived there, which was just beautiful. Some lovely sights out there, you know. I mean, classic tropical diving. Dan, you know. Dan really rates the Witter Islands. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's. It's spectacular, you know. um, How's it compared to the outer reefs at Tufi? Similar in many ways. Um, If you get on those best of those sites in Tufi, um, uh, I guess the the difference is probably the the nutrients, uh, because you've got... At Tufi, you've got the the what's left of the Indonesian through flow that comes down the top of... uh, What good doesn't go to Rajarampak comes down the... uh, uh, the 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 north coast and the northeast coast, and that's what mm. the feeds those uh, coastal those offshore reefs. Mm. In uh, the Witters, because it's right, it's kind of right in the middle of the the Bismarck Sea. You've got that flow of nutrients that comes down and goes into the Bismarck, and then you've got from the Solomon Sea to the south, mm. and all you've got this this circular movement of nutrients around the Bismarck Sea hmm. and that's what creates the biodiversity in Kimby Bay because gotcha. you get ed- eddies on that yeah. you know but the the widows are right out there mm. you know and so they it, you get this circulation of nutrients and the scenery above water because you've got the um uh the whole um um uh crater of the volcano there yeah, uh, which you actually you know it's breached on one is huge and you go inside there's all this black sand and some little villages there and you stay you know so it's it's all visually spectacular yeah and then the reefs and the atolls are superb 
mm. and some just wonderful diving. You know, it's really, and and the thing is. People say to me, um, you know, well, how do you reckon you'd be in here against Roger Ampert? Mm-hmm. It's a very valid question. Um, on a scale of one to ten, tropical diving, uh, some of the very best tropical diving in the world is in Roger Ampert, in my opinion. Yeah. Some, you know, some, especially down around Mosul in the south. Absolutely, unbelievably spectacular. Yeah. But, big currents, that's why it's... That's why it is what it is. And lots of books. Yeah. It's unlikely that you'll be there, you know, by yourself along. Yeah. So you go to places like the Wittus, and I would I, it, it's not as good as Rajarampa, mm. as the best of Rajarampa. Mm. Right. It's, you know, so if Rajarampa's nine, I would put the Wittus at eight to eight and a half. Yeah. Right. But it's exclusive. Yeah. So you're there with just the bowl, and you don't get the velocity of the currents there. You you, you will get big currents from time to time, but it's much more predictable and much more manageable. Mm-hmm. So it suits a lot more divers than Roger. No, nobody tells you about the currents in Roger Ampa. Oh, it's just, you know, you know, <laughs> and you get there, and it's like holy moly, you know what's going on here? Yeah. Right. And if you know how to dive in those currents, it's okay. But if you don't. It can be your worst nightmare. A bit of a and you get up. all the downdrafts and all the other stuff that happens there, you know, because of the currents. Yeah. So, I, don't get me wrong, I love Rajampa. I've been there many times. Fantastic. Yeah. The best. Some of those sites are just the best. Yeah. Tropical diving. Uh, but you have to know how to dive them. You, it's not exclusive. There'll be other boats. That, you know, I mean, there's like 100 boats working Rajampa in the middle well, of this. Every single boat, well, more or less every single boat from Komodo goes to Raja yeah. in the. Down season, they all, they, they all yeah. go north and you know base themselves there. So, yeah. I, um, I I've done Raja, but I, admittedly, I don't think, or in fact, I know I've not done the best of Raja. Um, I've, I've been out there with a, an operator that it, we didn't go to the right locations, quite frankly. Um, but for me, at the moment, I still rate PNG above the, my experience in Raja, yeah. and, and that's a fair comment based yeah. on what you've seen. Yeah, having. Yeah. Been fortunate enough to do what I've done. I'm, I'm two of my um, uh, things I'm doing this year. Um, um, I'm doing this. I started during the pandemic. I, I'm intrigued by the pioneers who started yeah. all this. So I'm, I'm intrigued by the pioneers in Papua New Guinea, and I'm very fortunate to have got to know most of them. Yeah, some of them have passed on now. You know, Bob Holstead's gone, yeah. Max Benjamin's gone. Yeah, uh, but what those guys did. And their partners, you know, so Cecily Benjamin and uh, and um, uh, Bob Halter's wife, um, Dinah. What they did back in the day was mind-boggling, really, you know. The, the true adventurers, yeah. true, true, true adventurers, you know. Yeah. And everybody else who came after them and set up what they've done and, you know, the people at Two Three, you know, Linda and all that, you know. Great, fantastic, fantastic. But you've got a similar story in Rajarampa, and I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Eddie from Willen uh, last, no, about 15 months ago now. So Eddie was the first liverboard built and launched the first liverboard in Indonesia, Pindito. Um, and he's still um, driving it hard today. He, just, he did a complete refurbishment during COVID. Uh, and you talk to him about what he did, and I did a couple of articles on him, and you know I've got to know him reasonably well now. Hmm. 
again, I'm just full of admiration for those guys. You know, I mean, I, I, I like my adventure in big doses, but I feel like I've lived a sheltered life. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I talk to these guys, <laughs> I mean, I do, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel like a dilettante at times, you know, I, I, I go in there and I'll do two weeks with them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I'll come back and I'm conscientious about it. I've, you know, I've published what I can. I, I write as truthfully and honestly as I can to tell the story of what I've seen, you know. But they live this stuff. Mm. You know, they're, I mean, you, you lived in Tufi, you know what it's like. Uh, you know, it's one thing to come in as a tourist and do your two weeks or whatever. Yeah. Go out. It's a different thing to be there and having to deal with all the stuff that co- constantly challenges you. And to do... He talks about Eddie, about what he did and how he did what he did and building that first ball and then, I mean, where'd you go? Okay, you build a ball, right? And you get it going, but so where'd you go then? Yeah. You know, it's eight hours across Indonesia by, by, <laughs> by playing, you're going on a boat, eight knots, right? Where'd you go? And, you know, what's this Indonesian free flow again? Where are these currents coming from? I don't know. You know, I mean, people didn't know. Yeah. And yet he's been doing it for like uh, 25 years now. I first heard about him when I I bought Cal Muller's book on diving Indonesia back in, oh my God, 25 years ago. And it was talking about this boat, this boat, the Pindito, you know, and I got to know him in Bali and interviewed him and, you know, wrote a couple of articles on him uh, about him. Anyway, uh, the next cab in the rank is I'm going to uh, Cape Crete in, um, uh, in May so, Eddie... Where's, where's Cape Creek? Cape Creek's in the Dampier Strait in Rajarampa. Okay. Right. So, when the first boat, liverboard boat, to go to Rajarampa was Eddie mm. from Pindito. But he wasn't the first. The first person there was Max Hammer, a Dutch guy, who uh, set up a beach camp on Cape Creek. He's, in the, he's got, now got two resorts. He's got his own little... Air Force, he's got, he's got these planes. And <laughs> it, the guy is incredible, right? So I'm going to interview him in uh, in May. I'm going to uh, his one of his, his Cerrito Bay Resort. And uh, two things. One, one is to document what he's doing and his life and all the rest of it, because it's very interesting. Mm. And uh, if, if you look him up on YouTube, there's a great... It, it's supposed to be an interview, but it's just Max talking. Yeah. And he talks about his life and about what he's done, you know, and it's like you just... Again, I, I, I just feel like I've lived a sheltered life. <laughs> when, when I look at what he's done, you know, and how he's done yeah. what he's done. Um, and uh, But where they are at Cape Cree, that house reef is supposed to be the best in the world. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, Jerry, oh, what's his name? The um, the uh, first guy, Jerry, oh, I'll come to him in a minute. But he surveyed it, and he, he count. I think it was like, nearly 400 species of fish on, on the house reef. Hmm. And I've heard it from Max, and I've heard it from a couple of other people who've lived in the area and dived it on a, um, a regular basis, is that you can't... And I've dived it several times, numerous times, actually, more than, you know, quite a lot. But you can't judge it until you know how it works. Hmm. And the only way you'll know how it work is that, works is to dive it regularly. So I'm going there for like about 10 days and I'm going to dive the shit out of it, basically, yeah. while I get my head around that. And in the evening, I'm going to interview Max Summer. Um, and then I hope from there, uh, later on in the year, to go down to Missoul, where there's uh, a couple, uh, Andy Miners and his wife, Marriott, have built this just amazing um, eco-resort, Missoul eco-resort. It's just phenomenal. And mm-hmm. they have really, um, you know, exemplified 
what you can do by being local. They've hired and trained the locals. It used to be where, they, where they're based used to be a shark finding operation. Okay. And they've turned it around. And they've, I, think they've, I, remember, I think I've seen articles on this. Like it's that, phenomenal. Yeah. It's phenomenal. They, 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 they personify <laughs> what good looks like, shall we say, yeah. when, when it comes to making a real impact locally. So yeah. the sharks are back. You know, the, you know the, the, the whole thing has come back to life. I mean, nature's a powerful thing if we get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what they're, what they're doing is allowing nature to be itself. And they have, they have 24-hour patrols going. They finance all that to keep out the illegal fishermen. I mean, it's, a, it's a marine park, but it's Indonesia. You know, anything can happen. There, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I hope to be going out on the boats on these, you know, uh, when the, I, I've dived most of the sites. So the diving you know, is great, but I want to go and see how they operate and how they how they make a difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're going out there then to write about them right. and, and their story, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it needs telling, you know, more the, the more people know about this, the better we're all going to be, you yeah. know. You know, which comes to your questions about, um, um, you know, ten questions. Do you want, do you want to start them? Do you want to have a go? Yeah, okay. Yeah, All right, yeah. I'll, I'll ask them. And yeah. You can, you can, uh, you can fire away with what you've got. Yeah. I might ridicule you in the pub later. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, quick fire round. Question one: How do you describe your job? Stroke pastime, definitely a pastime, as a diver to people who are not familiar with your activity. Well, let me just answer that by saying that my kids think I'm some kind of a drug mule. (laughs) (laughs) Or some kind of drug dealer or something. Because I I go off to these places, they have no idea where I'm going to with, you know, a lot of luggage. And they don't know why I'm going and what I'm doing, you know. Um, uh, And if you try... (laughs) It really depends who you're talking to. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking to people who uh, are interested in this stuff. You can get into really interesting conversations, you know, because uh, they are interested in, you know, and so, oh, you do this and you do that. You know. So that leads to really good dialogue. If you talk to somebody who's not interested, they look at you as if you're, you are a drug mule. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it depends on the circumstances. Uh, I, you know, if somebody's interested... I'll tell them what I do, and then, you know, I'll elaborate on that if they ask questions. If they're not interested, I just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Do you get i um, I'll just ask you directly because you're a mate, but because you're an old dude, mm. obviously super fucking fit, but an old dude that's doing all this travel, mm. do you actually get any, do you ever get the feeling that people are jealous of what you're doing? Um, yeah, interesting question. Um, Because the, the... you should do. <laughs> <laughs> So let, let me illustrate that with a conversation <laughs> I today. So uh, because I'm an old dude and because I've had a couple of scare and because I'm from the UK and I used and because I used to, you know, think uh, that if you went on holiday, you had to come back with a tan, yeah. right? Because that's the English mindset. You know, how would, yeah. how would anybody know you've had a holiday if you don't have a tan? Exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. So in that process, as you get older, you've got to have certain things checked. And uh, one of them is my skin. And I've had a couple of real scares with skin cancers. So I'm now on this, I was at one point in time where I was getting checked every three months. Mm. 
got these scars on my back where, you know, I had stuff taken out, you know, which I would say was shark bites, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Hell of a cow conservation. Shark nibble. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 shark bite, you know. <laughs> so yesterday I went for my uh, sixth monthly uh, skin check and it turns out this, and I know the 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 the, the lady who, um, they do these full body scans of you, you know, yeah. uh, looking for blemishes and all the rest of it. And uh, but she's from Argentina, and sort of, you know, she knows what I do, and she's always interested. So when I go in, she's asking me this and asking me, and I'm stood there in my underpants as, <laughs> as you do <laughs> for the full body scan. And uh, you know, but she's asking me all sorts of questions about this, that, and the other. And she was like really uh, intrigued that I'd been to Peninsula Valdez and the Patagonia to Southern White Wales, you know, and, mm. and blah 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 blah. You know, so that's a, a great conversation. But you can see. She's also looking at me in my underpants, thinking, <laughs> well, you know, he's, this guy's not young and he, he's doing all this travel and all the rest of it. And so uh, some people, you pick up a vibe where they look at you and think, well, he's not going to be around for long, is he? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then the other side of it, she's thinking, well, you know, okay, he's, 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 he's giving it his all, you know, he's, he's, he's you know, uh, trying to stay fit and active and, you know, I do a lot of exercise, but that's a means to an end for me. Yeah. So I can go and do this shit, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I must admit, it's, um, I, I admire what you do because um, I've taken the piss for years now, 20 plus years, that my my goal in life is that when I get old, I want to be, and if I get put in a, a home, I want to be that old cantankerous twat that everyone else in the in the home hates because when they say, oh, I wish I'd done this. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> I want to be the, yeah, I've done that, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I just, uh, as I said, I give up a perfectly good job to do this. I, uh, I, I had a really good job with uh, General Electric, blah, 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 and I give it up because I want to do this, you know, and uh, I'm determined to do it for as long as I can. Hell yeah. Um, okay, question two. Can you share... I know where this is going. A memorable diving experience that stands out to you as the best dive you've ever had. It's the Southern Right Wales. It's yeah. just what I described before. That uh, Those two, day four and day five, with the cantankerous uh, calf and the playful white calf, uh, without doubt, um, the best experience that I've ever had. Yeah. Phenomenal. Awesome. Um, if someone wanted to pursue a career similar to yours in diving... Uh, what advice would you give them? <laughs> Don't give up your day job. <laughs> win, win the lottery. <laughs> Don't give up your day job. Um, Specialise, I, I guess, is, is get good at something. Mm. Get really good at something. Um, there are all sorts of channels now that were just not available when I first got into it. I, the... the, the, the the only channel that was available to me back in the day was photojournalism. Back then, there were people like David Dublier and et cetera, you know, who were writing for National Geographic and taking photographs. And, you know, it just, you know, it enthralled and infused me. And I just, you know, off I went. And that was the channel, the only channel I could see at that point in time. Yeah. Now with, you know social media and all the different outlets there's a lot more possibility but there's a lot more competition as well mm. and there's a lot of people who are winging it 
Um, and they might get, you know, a break here and there, but it doesn't seem to me sustainable. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, you, you wouldn't want to take a mortgage out on that, uh, you know. So you, what you need to do is is get good at something. Um, you know, uh, you, uh, I, I, a really good example here in Australia is Matty Smith. He's he's uh, he's um, he's really took some nice images and he knows how to get the word out about what he does and he's achieving success. He, I had a conversation with him about a year ago. And he said, you know, I, I, I think I can make a living out of, out of doing this. And I, I said, well, good luck, Matt. <laughs> uh, but he seems to be doing it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, good on him for doing yeah. it. You know, um, for me, I, I got to a position where I, I could afford just about to do what I wanted to do. And I was determined to do it before I die. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, there are people coming through who are much more social media savvier than I am or social media tolerant I guess is the word I, there's only so much social media I can Tol- e- tolerance is a good word yeah, yeah. I, I mean there's a lot of so much, you know, I mean my son says oh you should you did TikTok dad yeah. I said give me a break you know, who's going to look at me on, on TikTok <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like you know you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses don't you uh, so, so <laughs> there's certain stuff that I can aspire to and certain stuff where I'm just not going to go there yeah but if you're young, younger and you're serious, uh, then uh, you can succeed. But you've got to get good at something. Yeah. And so underwater photography, although it's expensive and it's difficult, it's not impossible. You've got, you've got to have your niche, haven't you, though? You've got to have a niche within a niche. Yeah. And I think Matty Smith is a good example. Yeah. So is Matt Crummins. I don't yeah. know if you've noticed, but yeah. he's just started recently doing a, a YouTube channel. Yeah. And he's just showing... You know, all the stuff that we do, you know, post-photo post, post photo editing, but it's stuff that's it's pretty unique. I mean, there's not a lot of it out there that divulges all the little secrets of how to do. And I think the how to do bit is probably a really good example, a nice hook for people who want to achieve what they want to do. Yeah, th- th- there's... It's amazing what you can do now, because, you, 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 you know, the world is your market now. Hmm. So, yes, diving's a, a niche, uh, but within that niche, there's sub-niches, you know, cave diving, this, that, you know. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Kerry Burrow, she's specialises in cave diving and cave diving photography, and, you know, she's mm. really good at what she does. Mm. Um, so, you know, that there's a there's a niche that can open up other opportunities for you, you know. So you've got mm. to find what you're interested in. for me it's travel it's try you know it's, yeah. you know that's what i do uh, and but the thing is i write and not many people read now <laughs> <laughs> so you know the, what 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 used to be the way forward for journalism you know it's not you know let, people don't read much these days yeah. you know and i i mean i put a huge effort into what i write and research everything to try and you know um but the reality is that people read it i i don't know well, I, th- I think, um, you know, there are people out there that read it. I mean, I, I, I read the stuff that you put out in, in Dive Magazine all the time. Um, however, all of that information that you're putting out there is going onto the internet. So that information is then used. Yeah. And the, the big thing that's going off at the moment is all the AI yeah. writing. So chat, GBT and all that bollocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's your stuff yeah, I know. that those softwares are using. I know to make things I know. For, for people to be lazy I, 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 I won't mention the location but I remember 
about three years ago, uh, I went to this dive resort and I got to my room and there was like this, you know, dive guy, you know. Hmm. And I'm reading it and I thought, that's familiar. Yeah. Then it suddenly, I thought, and I went to my site and it, it was just lifted completely off my site. Yeah. And it was in the resort's uh, booklet. Booklet, yeah. which initially, you know, drove me crazy, but then I thought, well, limitations, the, you know, so I, I must be writing something reasonable. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know... It's nice, I, to be, nice to be asked, though, isn't it? It would have been nice <laughs> to have been consulted in the whole thing, uh, as opposed to find out when you sat on the toilet reading. Yeah. <laughs> as you do. Hey, dickhead. <laughs> I want a few extra dives out of this. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Uh, but uh, there are, without doubt, uh, more opportunities these days, these days. But you need to specialise. You need to get your niche and be good at it. Yeah. Next question then. Um, if you could change anything about the diving industry or the scuba diving in general, what would it be? I thought about this question a bit, actually, and uh, I, I suddenly dawned on me it's the business model that the um, that dive shops work under is, for me, it just sucks. Um, the, I, I mean, there are exceptions, but in general terms, it's all about, you know, getting people signed up for courses at a cheap price that some instructor has to deliver on a shoestring. Mm. You know, the, the the instructors don't, you know, it, it's almost slavery, really. Yeah. You know, the, the, you, you, they aspire to be an instructor, and suddenly they're looking after, you know, the people on a course who, you know, signed, got $500 for a course, and, you know, the, how much do they get paid? Not a lot is the answer, right? And they work hard, really hard. And having been in a structure myself many years ago, you know, it's hard work mm. to get people trained properly. Now, if you're paying not much and you're forcing people to try and persuade their customers to buy gear from the shop, at, you know, high margins and all that stuff that goes with it, it that to me is not a sustainable business model. It, it just sucks, really, you know, yeah. the the... the the instructors are being exploited. The only people who are really winning are the owners, because uh, the customers aren't really winning. They're not being trained very well. They might, they might. I mean, what's the retention rate? Not much. It's not going to be a lot. It's not a lot. Yeah. And, and is it because it's an adventurous sport, or is it because of the business model? My opinion, based on everything I've seen, is it's the business model. It just sucks. Mm. Unless somebody's really devoted to this, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, where's it going to lead? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like the the stores, the the shops, the operators um, that that refuse to drop their prices. You know, and the one that springs to mind straight away is Ryan up in Newcastle. Right. You know, when he was on the podcast, he was adamant. Oh, this is what you're paying. This is what you're getting. You're going to pay for my time and my experience, and you're going to get a quality course. Not so. He, he's in a niche, isn't he? Yeah. So you know, he, he's got the um, JGR uh, um, rebreathers, and he obviously. I mean, uh, uh, doing a rebreather, it's like childcare, you know. Oh, no, this is, no, this is his basic courses. This is his open water. He refuses to really? reduce the prices. Yeah. Oh, I didn't if you, If you want to train with him, yeah. even at open water level, you're going to fucking pay the right price. Oh, okay, well, good on him. Yeah. yeah. But the point I was going to make about rebreather courses, it's a bit like childcare. You can't really cheap out on it, can you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, budget childcare, you know. It's, <laughs> it's like, not going to work, well, is it? Well, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, budget rebreather. Well, uh, you know, probably not. <laughs> oh, dear. 
Um, okay. What are your thoughts on ways to minimise human impact on the oceans? Well, my philosophy and my very strong belief is we need to educate and inform. Um, the, those of us who are fortunate enough to get to interesting places um, and document them, um, I, I feel a moral responsibility. Uh, it sounds a bit highfalutin and, you know, full of myself, but I do feel a responsibility to tell the story, mm. which is why, you know, I spend a disproportionate amount of time researching, trying to understand the mechanism of why things happen mm. and explain that. Mm. Yes, I realise that my stuff will be stolen and, you know, disappear into AI and all the rest of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I'm the one who had the privilege and the pleasure of going to that. So, you know, I feel in, in, incumbent upon me to document it properly. And it's only by... The, the, the thing is, not many people get under the water, yeah. right? And if you do get under water, are you going to see what's really there? No. you know. So it's only a few of us, really, mm. who actually get to see and start to understand the incredible mechanism of the sea. You know, how that whole thing works is mind-bogglingly complex and incredibly powerful, Yeah. right? And it's only as you start to get... Uh, it, it's only, you know, through travelling and going to these places that you start to piece it all together and understand the bigger picture of how it all works. Mm. Not many people do that. Right and and but it's so important to the planet, you know, to life itself. Yeah. Right. So we need to educate and inform, so people get an appreciation of just how important it is. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that kind of dawned on me a while back now, which a lot of people probably think along the same lines. You know, we live on Earth, and there's there's oceans and seas and rivers and all that kind of shit. Um, actually, when you look at the world. It's 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 a world of water that has some dry shit sticking out of it. Exactly. You know? Yes. Um, and we need to get that in perspective. And, right. You know? If you want to see the real earth, you need to get beneath the surface. Yes. And and the, the, the interlinking and um, connectivity throughout that ecosystem, all those ecosystems, because there's numerous ones, you know, and the the way it's all a fine balance. And once that balance is broken, you get these trophic cascades where you get, you know, an overabundance of this, that or the other that has this impact, you know, and to see all that happening and and uh, to get an appreciation of it, it is, you know, we need to inform. Yeah. yeah. We need to inform. Definitely. Okay. Um, where are we at? That one. So um, has your passion for diving... Uh, changed over time, and if so, how? Well, better understanding, you know. Um, uh, I remember seeing my first shark. I, I was, I was fucking terrified. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified mm -hmm. by the sight of the shark. I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. There was no doubt in my mind I was about to die. Yeah. Right at that point in time. Um. Yeah. But yeah and. You know, on Friday, I'm going to do the Great Whites again, you know, my 14th and 15th trip <laughs> down there. Now, I, you know, hopefully I'll come back. But the point is, um, when, you know, you see these magnificent creatures and you 
And if you write about them like I do, and you start to understand how it all works, you know, you all these, it's like a jigsaw, really. It's like yeah. this magnificent jigsaw that starts to come together in your head. Yeah. So that's what's how I've evolved, you know, I, and that's what fascinates me to, to, to this day. Mm. You know, uh, going to, you know, going to see what's there and understanding why it's there. Mm. Um, starts to, uh, pieces in a jigsaw, a magnificent jigsaw, a tapestry, really, mm. that all come together, give you that, this better understanding of how it all works. I, w- I was sat next to this, um, really, <laughs> on the trip to the Wittus, right? Yeah. So I was sat next to this American guy at dinner, and he said to me, um, uh, no, I'd asked him previously um, where he worked, and he was at ULCA. He was a professor of biology, mm. not marine biology, of biology mm. uh, at uh, ULCA. So I immediately said, oh, do you know Jared Diamond? He says, well, he's in a different faculty to me, different faculty, but I, I, I know him professionally and all that. You know. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jared Diamond? No. So if you want to understand how the world works, read his books. Um, uh, he's the professor of, he's, he's in his 80s now, but he's still very active writing, you know, uh, magnificently. And it, it's one of the books, I read a lot, uh, one of the books that kind of opened the door for me was reading his, his book, Guns, Germs and Steel, because it kind of... It's like the World 101. He kind of explains how everything works, <laughs> how everything's interlinked, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then his second book was called Collapse, and, you know, why civilizations come and go. And, you know. yeah. So, and, and he's, he's incredibly well-traveled. Max Hammer mm-hmm. takes him in his helicopter into remote parts of Rajarampa, and they camp there for days, right? Yeah. That's how, you know, how serious this guy is. And Max knows he's, you know, incredible. Anyway, um, so he said to me, do you know what the Wallace line is? I says, yes, I do, actually. Um, he says, well, what's your understanding? And I was able to... You held your own? I, and he, <laughs> he, he looked at me. I mean, this guy's, you know, I mean, this guy, he used to be a CEO of a um, major pharmaceutical company. And he, he you know, he, he took a... He, he changed <laughs> his life and he's ended up at ULCA and he's professor of biology, right? Uh, successful guy, um, very you know well educated, very you know uh, well versed, shall we say? And so I was able to have explain my um, understanding of the Wallace line, and because that's really what creates the underwater biodiversity in Rajarampa. Is this the, you know Wallace was a contemporary of Darwin, hmm. who in the eighteen nineteenth century. Uh, 1830 something or he spent about five years wandering around and documenting all the marine life and what he came up with was there was this imaginary line called the Wallace line mm-hmm. to the east was one set of flora and fauna and to the west was another and he didn't know why the reality is it's the Indonesian fruit roll that comes down mm. that prevented one you know people are, you know people are people um, flora and fauna on the east getting over to the west to the west yeah right but it was that it was the flow of water that comes down through the Indonesian, the Indonesian fruit flow, as we call it, mm. as it's called. Uh, so he's and, and he didn't know about this, and he's looking at me, and I'm thinking, does he think I'm bullshitting? Or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, he's a professor at the ULCA, and I'm a fitter from Runcorn. <laughs> <laughs>
So it's it's that better understanding that yeah. allows you to have you know a a view, yeah, and have a, a dinner conversation. Should you be sat next to a professor yeah. from your seat? <laughs> Um, um, is there a particular conservation effort that you are particularly passionate about? If so, which one and why? Well, I've already mentioned it, Missouri Eco Resort. Uh, if I had to pick, you know, one thing that uh, I know you've had Simon Pierce on here with, uh, <laughs> uh, I know Simon quite well, uh, uh, Marine Megafauna. They do a great job yeah. of what they do, um, but they don't have control. Mm. Over their, they have a reasonable degree. They've worked very hard on their influence, but they don't have any authority, no. right? So they do a magnificent job of influencing, uh, particularly Mozambique and other areas, um, uh, based on their reputation and everything they do um, for the greater good, and mm. it's very impressive. Um, but in terms of an actual example where a huge tangible difference has been made to both the flora and fauna and the people mm. you would have the best I, I'm aware of uh, at this point in time is Missoula Eco Resort mm. and I'm hoping to go there later this year and really peel that onion and get a better understanding of it uh, but from what I understand of how it works and everything I've read about it it's phenomenal and get them on the, on the podcast as well if I can yeah you can do it if anyone can do it you can do it no pressure if you don't do it, you're buying your own fucking bin. Next time. <laughs> Again. <laughs> okay. Um, of the many safety procedures we have in the industry, if you had to choose one as the most important, what would it be? SMB really is uh, is the you know a lot of people don't know how to use one, mm. um, and they don't realise just how important it can be to you. Uh, it's it's you know diving one on one for me, uh, but not many people can use them. Uh, the, you know, the, a lot of people don't carry them. Yeah. Um, you know, it can save your life. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I did a uh, dive with the missus and a couple of mates uh, a week and a half ago on the Shelley Beach. There's no need for an SMB really because you come back out on the on the sand, and it's protected. No boats can go in there. Just put that in there. But. Um, uh, a couple of them decided they wanted to practice at doing SMBs, and boy, did they need the practice, mm. you know. And, um, yeah, it's a very simple component, safety component, mm. but I say very, very important. Very, very important. I, I mean, I, 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 I carry one, but I also carry a, um, a beacon, yeah. you know. Um, I've got a couple now, I bought my second one in uh, when it was on Nautilus mm. in Socorro, you know, that you can they put one in your pocket for you yeah. uh, when you're there um, and uh, I I bought one when you know I bought, because the, the second version is much smaller yeah. but I swear by that that and the SMB which one, which one you got? Uh, I got the first one is quite big it's about that you know about and then the second one is much smaller and I've had it about three four years now and it's really good I can't remember the name of the one that we got and it's it's really small Yeah, it's Not literally I've got a in fact the canister I've got is probably the size of this beer can but that's only because I want it to fit in there without crushing and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like the generation one of the Nautilus make the actually they they as I understand it for their liverboards. Yeah, um, 
it's standard gear, you know, for all that. You know, you've got, you, they yeah. put one in your, in your BC. Yeah. Uh, and they get them made. So I don't know where China probably was. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Nautilus. I can't remember, is it? Yeah. I've been on a few boats, obviously. They, they give them, especially yeah. in the Galapagos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, uh, the Rescue Link, that's the one that I've got. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I see. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, nine times out of ten, I, I found the the ones on remote boats are direct radio link, so you talk to the ra- the, yeah. the boat yeah. as long as you can fucking see it. Yes, yeah. Um, but these ones, that's right. No, no it's the same. It, it, it yeah. goes through GPS through the satellite. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, what are your top five bucket list destinations? This well, is going to be a hard one for you. Um, <laughs> top of the list is Dominica for um, probably next year. I wanted to do a sperm whales there. Yeah, I, I had a go at sperm whales in the Azores about six years ago. Not pretty well. I mean, I saw some, but you know, weren't great interactions, mm. encounters. Where uh, the most um, reliable seems to be Dominica. Was, you know that, uh, but again, it's a, a long haul from here. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my number one destination. Number two would be Papua New Guinea again. I'm really enjoying being mm. uh, that trip back there. I've got. Uh, last month was really good and then I'm going uh, um, at least twice again this year uh, to uh, back there back you go, it, you're going next year as well aren't you yeah what's what, early June you're going I'm going uh, I'm going in March I'll yeah, be yeah. in Papua New Guinea for a, a month which is uh, two for your yeah. old stomping ground <laughs> it's okay to mention you're going for a month not to not to two I'm going to two yeah. uh, for about eight days then I'm going to Milne Bay Okay. To Ali, and I'm going on Oceania to do the um, 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 Southern Milne Bay, and then up uh, round the uh, to the South Coast of New Britain, yeah. and round to Rabaul. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then me, me and Dan were talking about. I think it's June, end of June. Yeah. Next year, we're looking at doing a, an exploratory liverboard, going further up into the Bismarck Sea. Really? Mm. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, I talked about that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I. I, I uh, it, it's a. Um, I, I, I'm focused right now on 23 of getting everything. Yeah, I've got a lot of stuff coming. Get all your ducks so, lined up. <laughs> yeah, to get all those ducks. So 24. Yeah, I'll, I'll be dis- discussing that with him. I was, in fact, just digressing here, but Tuwali. Mm. Um, last time, oh, in fact, I think it was the first first season when you first came on the podcast. Didn't there wasn't there a landslide or something at the Black Sand Dive site there that uh, at Luwadi yeah. at Tuwali. I, I can't remember what it was called, but I thought there was a, I thought there was something that occurred at Tuwali that destroyed one of the dive sites. No, no. I'll, I'll t- I've, I've not been there for a couple of years, so yeah. uh, I've got I think about nine days there in uh, next in March, and so yeah, I'll you know, yeah, I'll find that all out. Um, all right. uh, yeah, but then um, in June, July, I'm going back to. Do the north coast of New Britain and uh, Rabaul, looking for the uh, for the wrecks and the yeah. Simpson Harbour, there, and then maybe something at the end of the year. But that's a bit, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and three. then, sorry, number three, uh, Indonesia. Uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to. Uh, I spent a lot of time. I mean, I live in Indonesia, I live in Bali, uh, oh. and I've done a lot of stuff around Arajirampa and um, Sulawesi. But I'm going back to. I'll be doing um, in May. I'm going to uh, do Cape Cree to you know interview Max, Max Hammer, et etc., and then I'm going to Lembe, mm. uh, back to Lembe. I've got ten days there to nice. um, 
to do some um, critter stuff. Uh, have you been? Have you been to Lembe? Yes, I have. Uh, yeah. Which which resort are you using? I'm down at uh, Divers Divers Lodge down at the bottom. Uh, yeah, I've got me on board for the for ten days, just me nice. and a guide. Yeah. Uh, not cheap, but it's it's worth it, you know. Yeah. And uh, there's no way I like the Lembe. You know, it's. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. What about Ambon? Well, I'm, I'm, when I go back in, um, I'm doing the Kai Islands in uh, the far east of Indonesia in November, mm. and then I hope from there to go to to Missoul to mm. uh, to interview Andy Miners, etc., and do the patrol. But I'm thinking of going back to uh, Ambon before that. So I've done mm. Ambon a few times. Uh, I really like it in terms of muck and critters for me. It's a it's second to um, uh, the best for me is is Lembe. Yeah, I've had the most success with the most exotic critters yeah. in Lembe. Then Ambon, and then Papua New Guinea, Bali. You know the the, the you know uh, like the Luwadi uh, and some of the other places, uh, Samurai, mm. Milne Bay. Um, I've had uh, two jetties <laughs> good on you know when it's going, it's got it goes good. Dan was Dan was telling me that they've dredged at the jetty there. Really. Yeah. In Chiefy? A couple of years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I didn't. No. I don't know whether he's got it wrong, but... Um, There's another place that we're going to go in Rabal, Johnny's Jetty, uh, which I've dived a couple of times. It's, it's good on its day. Um, and we've got to do a bit more of that when I uh, in July. So, But more to follow on that. Uh, maybe, yeah. ask that maybe ask that question next time. Because <laughs> uh, my information's a bit old right now. Yeah. So. But anyway, there's uh, Indonesia. Then fourth on the list would be Japan. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's some really um, uh, interesting critter stuff in Japan, mm. uh, and some nice shark stuff. Yeah. Shark Nado, as they call it, uh, on the Itsu um, Peninsula. Mm. And then fifth would have to be going back to Argentina for the sort of <laughs> world. You know, I, I usually end up going everywhere twice. Yeah. And um, it was so good that um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll have to go back at some point. Well, you know, Miguel's cousin's not going to be there for you next time. <laughs> It's me, I, you know. I've come. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you're growing up now. Yeah, yeah. Go a damn sight bigger. Yeah. Um. Okay. Last one. Yeah. How would you describe the dive community to a non-diver? In a word, complicated. <laughs> it's. Yes. Um, are, are you talking around the Australian uh, dive community? I guess because uh, it's like. Well, the dive, the dive community that you've been associated with in the nine million years that you've been diving. <laughs> uh, so it's not just Australia. Well, you've got to put it in perspective of, uh, I mean, I started off with Bezak. And, um, you know, back in the day when I started with Bezak, you know, you could take you six months to get into the sea. And, you know, you had to be able to tread water for about three hours with your hands away. That's what it felt like anyway. Um, so it was really strict at the time, but um, I am the diver I am today because of that. You know, mm. I, I, I became an advanced instructor with Bezak uh, back in the late 80s, and, you know, I was really proud of that. Uh, Bezak's obviously evolved a lot and changed, uh, yeah. but it's still f fairly responsible, I think. Um, I I saw a lot of parallels with GUE when I was doing my courses last year uh, with GU here in uh, in Sydney there's a, a real you know vibe around it all you know the, the the technical diving but then you get 
you know, people take you know people take things to excess, don't they? You know, you, a friend of mine calls GUE, you know, the men in black because <laughs> <laughs> they're all in, you know. So uh, I don't know. It, it, and then you've got the, the underwater photography community, and there's you know Fifty Shades of Grey there of people doing well, people pretending to be do well, and you know a lot of people bullshitting about this, that, and the other. You know. <laughs> so it's it's complicated. You know, it, it's at the end of the day, we all like the ocean, but you know, yeah. the, the I guess the thing is these days because of social media, everybody's trying to you know. Urinate farther than the others, you know. Yeah. There's there's a lot of show off, people showing off, and um, you know, pretending to be doing this, that, and the other. That really irritates me, frankly. You know, yeah. but like, is that because I'm old? Probably. You know, I mean, I, 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 I was probably as irritating as anybody when I was younger. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm probably the wrong person to ask, you know, because I, I've been around that long. I've seen ma- that many shades of it all. That, um, I, I just let it all wash over me, you know. I, I just, I just get on with what I'm doing, you know. I, 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 I'm, I'm on a mission to do as much as I can while I still can and try and get as good at my top. For, you know, what, what matters to me is, is for diving. That is is photography mm. I, I i want to get as good as i possibly can at what i'm doing and take exceptional images and uh, get recognition for that because uh, if they just sat on your, on your computer what's the point you know so yeah well i think it's fair to say mate that you're doing a very good job of it and you're getting a, a worthy recognition as well uh, well i, I don't know <laughs> i i kind of live in a vacuum so i don't i, I honestly don't really know I, I i mean i do seem to do okay on social media, um, I try not to flog that to death. Um, only put meaningful stuff as meaningful as I can be about all. So, yeah, hopefully. But um, I think, well, I think that's an element that a lot, of, a lot of like what you're kind of pointing at now is the people that take photos just chuck them up. This is it. This is a thing that I took a photo of today. Everything that you put up has a description and a meaning behind it. You know, there's never. There's never a photo of look what I got, and that's it. There's a, there's always a bit of a story or a description, um, and it's content, and it's content that people absorb. Mm. Mm. Well, that's good feedback. I, yeah. Um, a sea change for me this year, or a step change for me, is the I've been um, getting a, some one-on-one instruction on how to properly process images in Photoshop. Mm. Um, which is obviously a contentious subject in itself, you know. I mean, should mm. you, should you, should you do anything in Photoshop? You know, and people say, well, you shouldn't really do it. But for me, it's just a digital darkroom, and um, um, the fundamental thing is that if you really get into this, um, the top of the, I mean, the really good. I mean, all cameras are good these days. You know, you can't blame the camera anymore. No. Right, it's not the camera, it's you. If you can't get a decent image, it's not the camera, right? Even, you know, one or two generations ago, cameras are still better than the vast majority of people who own them Mm. because they don't try to use them Mm. properly, Mm. right? So I will never upgrade until I've tested the outer limits of what a camera can do and until I know that there's a specific function that's lacking that you need to move that on I to. Need. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'll give you a good example. I, I one of the big 
improvements in my photography over the last couple of years has been the uh, I, I only actually got it going about a year ago was high speed sync which allows me to use much higher shutter speeds um, to with my images which creates a very dramatic effect if you if you learn how to use it properly mm. you need a powerful strobe to do that and there's only a couple of strobes that will support high speed sync but you combine that with I'm currently still using a DSLR I'm using a Nikon D850 because I don't think right now there's anything better than it for underwater yeah I use mirrorless for above water for landscape photography I've got medium form and a shitload of other stuff that Cost an arm and a leg. But Don't tell the wife. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> Good job you did listen to these podcasts. So, but for underwater, I'm still using the D850. And when I look at the quality of the pixels that I get from that, using the WACP that I referred to before mm. for wide angle, and I've also invested in the Nauticam <laughs> EWML, which is the extended wide macro lens, which is a really... Um, strange piece of kit but it allows you to do uh, really close up wide angle it's on a, this long extended thing it looks like a yeah. proctology <laughs> <laughs> device <laughs> uh, but that's that, that handfish image was took with that yeah uh, but the quality of the optics that's available now the water corrected optics yeah. from I use Nauticam uh, combined with the quality of the pixels yeah in the D850 lit with the strobes I use and high speed sync gives me stuff that when I look at it, the pixel level is phenomenal yeah right yeah. so it's it but you it's just ones and zeros at that level mm. right it's the raw data uh, Ansel Adams created his phenomenal images in the dark room mm. right he went out with his his uh um, large format camera and photographed uh, Yosemite and then he took that piece of photographic film and developed it in the dark room and dodged and burned and created the magnificent images that he did, mm. right? That we're still trying to replicate to this day, yeah. right? So what you're doing with your camera underwater, if you know how to use it, is capturing some phenomenal digital data. Mm. Photoshop allows you then to, at the pixel level, and something I've got into is luminosity masking that allows you to select specific pixels and then bring out and enhance and dodging and burning and exactly the same but digital version yeah. what Ansel Adams did all those years ago, right? And you can create very dramatic images from it all. Very dramatic images. Who, and, and who, who are you doing your one-on-ones with? Uh, it's a, an Italian lady called Isabella Tabacci. Google, Google her, Isabella, T-A-B-A-C-C-H-I. And are you doing that remotely, or is she here in Sydney? No, no, she's in uh, Bologna, and um, I just did a two-hour session, um, Zoom session with her on Sunday morning, actually. I, she's, if you look at her landscape images, hmm. and an interesting thing, I'll come back to them in a minute, but uh, you look at her landscape images, and they're, they're absolutely to die for. You know, yeah. she, she gets it right in camera, uh, and even when she can't get it right, absolutely right in camera, so for like um, depth of field, mm. she'll do image stacking yeah. and then puts it all together and she corrects any movement, blah, blah, blah. But she gets this uh, fantastic digital negative, shall we say, and then she enhances it and brings out details. And you look at images and they're, they're absolutely stunning. Yeah. So I, I first of all, I... Um, I, I reached out to her and I signed up for some of her training 
for landscape, but it turns out she's interested in underwater. Get out of it. Yeah, so she's really, really, really interested in it now because she's seen my. Because I, I said, well, how would you process this and how would you process that? So, to I can't tell you how life changing it is <laughs> to take the first one I did it with was a great white image, right? And now it's a really good shot uh, down t- taken down on the ocean floor in the ca- in the cage, obviously, hmm. uh, where this large. Uh, male came in right up close and just stops and looked at me, yeah. right? And I, I captured the uh, uh, really nice image, incredibly sharp, uh, very, very good. And I was over the moon with it, right? Then I thought, I wonder what Isabella would, how she would process it. Because yeah. I processed it and I got a, what I thought was a good result. Yeah. And she's, oh, this, you've got to do this, you know, and she, and she worked on it and it was like, Holy shit. The difference between what I'd done and what she did. Uh, Put you back in nappies. It was, it was mind-boggling. Yeah. Now, you've got to get a good image in the first place. Yeah. If you don't have a good image, you, you, it's lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. <laughs> <laughs> right? You, 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 if you're trying to manipulate a bad image, it's lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Right? If you get a good image and you've done everything right in camera, mm. then you have a canvas with which you can create a phenomenal image. Yeah. But there's no free launch. You've got to get the good image in the first place. Yeah. Right? And that's, you know... Um, and, and the thing about underwater photography is it's... Uh, people are like, you know, what, what is underwater photography? Well, it's like... Well, you've been in the right place at the right time with the right gear. You know how to use it, and you work quickly because it's milliseconds down there. Yeah. You know, that, the calf. Yeah. You know, I'd worked out in advance how I was going to do what I was going to do. Uh, I thought, oh, I've got to use centre-weighted uh, metering because it's white, you know, and I, like, fast shutter speed because it's moving. Uh, and, and I got the images, Yeah. right? Uh, and that's how I got that's how I got back to Sydney watching <laughs> looking at those images. <laughs> Not for fifty five hours, but you know, do you know what I mean? It's like you look at that and you think, Wow, I did it. Yeah. Right. Now what can you do with it? Yeah. It's not a pig, it's a good image. Yeah. 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 Good on you. Yeah. Mate, I think well um, Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, the five end of hours. <laughs> five hours in, yeah. We'll probably keep going. Um should we go to the pub? Yeah, let's go to the pub. Yeah. All right. Um it's it's fucking awesome to catch up with you again it's been a long time far too long and um thanks again for coming on the show thank you mate um it's always a pleasure to come in and uh you know um as my wife would say you do like talking about yourself oh yeah <laughs> so i get a chance to talk about myself nothing wrong with a bit of self-promotion eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm here no it's really good it's uh, i mean a lot of shared ground as well you know uh, w- what you've done and what i've done and it's uh, it's a pleasure to come in yeah fantastic all right, buddy. Let's hit that pub. Uh, yeah. Ladies and gents, hope you've enjoyed the content, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Ciao for now. This is Scuba Goat Under the Sea, the podcast for the inquisitive diver.